All right, what is up, fellow gamers? It is I, the best host of the Dear Apparition podcast, Steve, over here to fill your lovely ears with some wonderful, wonderful things. Yes, that's what I intended to say. All right, so welcome to the Dear Apparition podcast. This this is the Act 3 episode. This is the album that I've really been waiting for. Um, so with that, let's just see uh, how the guests over there are doing. So We're guests how are you doing now. over there, Rue? I'm doing amazingly well back home in the gloriously bad uk yeah you got back from your trip <laughs> that yeah, was uh yeah i loved it it was great the tour was great the uh the states were pretty cool so the say. state that you saw yeah yeah the states. i mean new, new york is basically america right oh totally <laughs> yeah absolutely representative I've, I've seen it all it's fine so yeah, and uh, how are you doing over there, Hunter? How's the uh, world's largest piece of corn? Uh, is that me, or am I just supposed to know about that? Anyway, uh, well, let me let me set the record straight because because Steve's spewing some lies and slander here. Me and my co-host Rue, not guests, we're hosts. Uh, we're here and we are ready to go. We're ready for action. I'm still in Ohio. Uh, life is dreary, and let's just let's do an episode. Did you completely miss that reference that I dropped? What the giant corn? Yeah. Problem. When when Rue came over here, I sat and he got a picture with uh, Mark and uh, I oh sent it to you and like yeah no I totally yeah. forget. I I forget and things. Like, I'll take a picture with the world's largest piece of corn and then we'll see who's jealous. Yeah, that was actually a funny joke on my part. That's probably why I remembered it because that's such a rare occurrence for me is to actually tell a funny joke. But yeah, I'm still still in Ohio. Things are the same. Uh, but we, it's been forever since we've done an episode. This is. I'm excited. It's good. We we kind of agreed we wanted to have guests on, but just like this album means a lot to me from so many different perspectives, and it's just nice to like be able to sit with just us, let our talents kind of roam a bit, and just kind of mingle. Uh, we did this. We're doing this also much earlier in the day for Rue, so he should be a bit more talkative. Give me a little keyboard flourish yes. there, Rue. that i don't know no better flourish give, give us like give us something something like or, or whatever it is pianists do i don't i don't know play us a dap theme no <laughs> yeah really? uh i'm on a really plasticky keyboard it's not very nice to play let's play let's try uh Yeah, that actually that actually sounded slightly different from our intro, but it sounded really cool. Yeah, uh, who knows? That might be the actual intro to the episode this week. But anyway, so we're on to Act Three. Uh, we're trying to uh, we're trying to fix up our flow a bit more. Um, we're going to be a bit more uh, rigid, I guess, without being rigid. Like we're going to focus a bit more on the songs. Uh, the songs here are kind of where shit kind of hits the fan, not in terms of like the what happens in the story, but the way it's all kind of like shown. Um, so we're going to really try and just delve into this, get like, get our teeth really, really wet. Our flaccid teeth are now going to be very, very erect in our mouths as we dig into this, uh, <laughs> as we dig into this record. <laughs> anyway, for, for, for listeners new and old, uh, we, we just, we just released our act two episode where we, we, we dove into the story of act two. We, we also had an act one analysis where at this point it's going to be like a month. Yeah, who, this might come out in like 10 years. We'll, we'll just seal this up in a time capsule and just send it off to aliens or something. But yeah, um, 
we we're looking forward to act three. We have been for a long time. I think since we first started this podcast, I think the first episode we actually talked about was act three because this, this is the one Steve's excited about. It's just, it's such a weird little pivot to the story. Like it, it moves us to a yeah. different place. It's kind of a different theme. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited. And we actually, we, we tried to, um, what we tried to do is, uh, we wanted to like, we, we want, we want to rotate who does the hosting for the episode, like who does the intros and stuff. But like, uh, cause I did the act two and I did like Gavin part two. So I did like, we, I did a good amount of them recently, but they wanted me to do this one just cause this album is so near and dear to me. But this is cause this is the album that got me into the band. Like a uh, fun fact, I was playing Saints Row the Third. I heard it uh, in Cowda Venom, and uh, when that fucking song popped up, I'm just like, "This is incredible!" And then, like, fast forward maybe six years later, seven years later, I think this is like after, like, right after the final act tour, I went and listened to the full album. Like, this is incredible. Like, this is just one of the most incredible albums I've heard. And this album is the album that actually broke me away from metal, because at the time, one of my favorite albums alongside this was uh, called Every Trick in the Book by Ice Nine Kills. So uh, there, it was a very theatrical metalcore record. And then I found a very just genuinely theatrical record in general being Act 3, Life and Death. And I'm just like, this is incredible. I love everything about this. It's scratching that itch that uh, half of the first Panic at the Disco album scratched for me with like the very vaudeville, loungy kind of sound. So it's just, it did everything mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, you're gonna have to add some some context to those connections as we go through. Because I think if if anyone starts listening to an Act Three episode and they hear Ice Nine Kills and Panic at the Disco, they're probably like, "How the how the fuck?" Oh yeah, no, I'll definitely make those connections. But anyway, so we're uh, we're gonna start off. Uh, this is the third out. Al- this is the second album with an acapella intro because Act Two didn't have one. So. Yeah, which we can basically into it is is the the oracles that we that were introduced in Act Two. Um, basically anytime there's an acapella or, or at least uh, maybe not purely acapella yeah. but just you know heavy vocal harmonies things like that it's basically the the oracles speaking in their in their you know premonitions and, and all that kind of stuff yeah and so I guess let's go right into uh, writing on a wall uh, cue the music Let's not dwell on this because this is going to be cut out. Fuck you. Um, so, <laughs> so writing on a wall is an intro to this uh, to this record. It's what kind of soaks you into it. Uh, it starts off with just some um, some acapella like acapella ooze going in. Acapella ooze. <laughs> I knew as soon as I no, said that, it just came out totally fucking wrong. No, I, but, lo- um, I love that description for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> so. So when when it starts off, you hear Casey kind of harmonizing with himself. Uh, Starting off with "Come Away, Young Man," where the ground is red and you need a mask to breathe. Um, this song picks up basically right where Act Two leaves off. Act Two leaves off with Hunter saying "fuck you" and misleading, going on a boat and off to the Great War, aka World War One, going to the battlefields. This is the kind of the oracles. So before we get into the story, um, this is very much kind of really interesting because uh, on the Act Three CD you get the actual acapella version of this because the the album version has uh, percussion in it with uh, some strings in it and i i think it's strings don't get me wrong i'm doing this off of memory but um on the actual acapella version what's really cool about it's just you hear how well casey harmonizes with himself and how like much he has it down it sounds even more perfect somehow than batissimo so uh rue what do you think about the um what do you think about this musically like what kind of resonates with you uh one one thing that 
I always love to notice and point out to other people who perhaps haven't noticed it before is when when the whole band part comes in one thing I absolutely love to point out are the marching uh, the marching kind of rolls on the snare, snare rolls yeah it's incredible yeah it's uh, with this being an album that's about war mm-hmm. I, I just think it's such a, a subtle thing but it 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 just gives so much context. I don't think and, it's I don't think it's necessarily subtle, but I, I I think you're right. It's it's thematically perfect. It it doesn't it doesn't draw attention to itself. It's, it's, it, I guess it's subtle's not I mean, a, so subtle is kind of the word to describe and kind of not because like it you're not really focused on it, but it does feel very militant. And like one thing that if you uh if you go back to our a- episode zero actually, the Meet the Hosts episode, Hunter, I don't know if you were there for that, you're kinda of dropping in and out, but um me and we were discussing how the production shift shows something different because when you go from Act Four to Act or Act Three to Act Four, it's completely different. Act Three is much more heavy in its production, which is what grabbed me, and like it's very much like um, it's very much kind of encapsulating the feeling of war, and that really in-your-face kind of production of this album really lends itself to putting you in the mind state of where Hunter, not Workman, is during this uh, during the story and where yeah, he's like chaos. going. So, but what do you guys, I know writing on the wall is probably going to be our longest uh, thing to intro. So who wants to break down the lyrics of this? Um, well, real quick, while we're, while we're on the music, are there any reprises in here or any sort of musical things that, that should be particularly noted besides just like the, the snare rule and stuff like that? There may not be. I'm just, I, before we forget. I mean, there, there may be. I, there, from memory, I can't really think of any that appear in this, but. In later songs, there are definitely a lot of things to... Well, let's... I guess we'll, we'll go with, with Steve then and go on to lyrics. Um, I, I think we can probably go through them together. Um, so it's it's basically, yeah. like I said, it's, it's the oracles speaking. Uh, and, and we can have a whole discussion rehashing what we talked about the oracles in Act 2, but I'm not sure if this is actually the oracles yeah, you said, yeah, talking you backpedaled on your You backpedaled on your perspective of the oracles because, like... I knew you, you were going to bring that, that up. Um, <laughs> No, but, no, but it's interesting to talk about because um, that's kind of something to state with the continuity of these records. Uh, because as things happen, you, there's so much up to interpretation that even Casey himself said not everyone got everything right. So with this, with, with this record, it's like this: the lyrics here, where it's like, "Come away, young man, where the ground is ready. Need a mass to breathe," be, implying the blood mm-hmm. and the mustard gas being foretold. Sure. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's been so hard, but your luck can change if you just roll up your sleeves. So, like, this can also lend to Hunter's perspective of the oracles being a figment of his imagination, being like, um, being kind of like warning him about what's going to happen. This is what you're going to encounter. There's going to be death and nothing more forward unless you shift your ways and do something for the greater good. And what this kind of the way it kind of makes me perceive the oracles in this sense is like, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the game Persona Four. But uh, the Velvet Room no. that he goes to is uh, basically the protagonist every time that uh, they're going through learning new things or going through shifts in the story. He gets brought, the character goes to sleep and they get brought to this like out of world space where he's talking to two characters. And these two characters is, um, 
these two characters are kind of talking things a, a little bit more meta about what's going on in the world. And I think that's kind of how the oracles could also be perceived. Yeah, and I, I think, like I said, I don't necessarily want to rehash the oracles conversation, but I think it is important to establish what they are as we're talking about this song, because it's it's my interpretation that mm-hmm. they're basically a narrative device used kind of like retrospectively by Hunter to mm-hmm. kind of reconsider the actions of his own life and to say, okay, uh, like how, how we all do. We think back on the thing we, we did and we're like, man, if only I had done this, or if I could go yeah. back and tell myself something, I'll yeah. tell myself this. And I, I, I'm starting... To really solidify my, my opinion that the oracles really are just just hunters, uh, I don't want to say want to say conscience, but it's it's just him going back and saying like, if if I if I could change this, this is what I would say to myself. If I could only tell young Hunter what I knew now, uh, and, and it does make more sense. I mean, when you when you start to look at how some of these lyrics, um, they they almost directly reference like a, a kind of a personal motivation. Like it's been so hard, but your luck can change if you just roll up your sleeves. The the thing is, objectively speaking, it hasn't been hard. Hunter at that point. Yeah. All all he really did was just have uh, a bit, a bog standard, mostly heartbreak. Like his, his childhood was basically the opposite of hard. It was so shielded that he's naive about the world. And so this, this to me can only come from a perspective of Hunter is to say it's been so hard. It really hasn't been. Um, so it's been hard. It's been taxing emotionally. It's not been hard in a physical sense. This is kind of where Hunter is shifting from being kind of an all talk to like a do kind of thing. Cause like, as it's told later in the story where the actions that he takes among the uh, people around him and his platoon and everything, um, when, when he goes into that, uh, you, it goes after this lyric. Well, it's been so hard, but your luck can change if you just roll up your sleeves. We have tried our best to warn before, but it didn't get you far. Now we're here again with a wish to mend your agonizing scar. Uh, this is leading to the fact that they warned him on the train and the oracles of the uh, Delphi Express, where he's being straight up warned. He's like, "You're going to the city. Just mm-hmm. turn around now." But then, like, um, he's like, "Now, because if you keep yeah. going." You're literally going to this war to escape your agonizing scar of heartbreak that you experienced in the last well, act and, and of your story. And here's the connection to this song and, and so, kind of bolstering my opinion about what the oracles are is that in when we see the oracles in act two, we do kind of see them as having some sort of literal interpretation. So he he meets them on the train and they they just they give him these these premonitions, whether it was actually in reality or not. But when we come to the end of act two, he gets on a boat and he sails away. And we know that from the sounds. We know that he's actually actively sailing away from the city and yet the beginning actively yes he's he's doing it Uh, but then the beginning of act three we have the oracles (laughs) starting now what what reason would the oracles be anywhere where hunter is why would they like why would they take such a personal interest in hunter to follow him wherever he goes or did he just happen upon them on this boat it seems more likely to me that this this narrative device of the oracles follows hunter wherever it needs to be and that's it just wouldn't make sense if those were actual people it wouldn't make sense for them to be on this boat it wouldn't make sense for them to even want to mend hunter's scars i mean why would he in any way Mm -hmm. be special to them his life is very i would say unremarkable i mean he does some kind of incredible stuff later on uh in that it's just there's you know running for mayor and all stuff happens but his, his life isn't that important at all why would these people take interest in not only healing his scars, but following him where he goes to give Mm -hmm. him advice. It just, it doesn't make sense. And that's why I think it's 
Well, it could also be like it could be a non-diegetic element in the sense where like maybe it's hunters not seeing this. This is just the sure. narrator. But then that separates the from what's happening. what we saw in Act Two, which kind is where of like actually interacting with Hunter. Why would they switch from characters in the story to narrators? It just it seems it seems strange to switch. But the thing is, it could have always been that way. Like you, Hunter, said in the Act One episode and a little bit in Act Two, how these are very sure. resembling of musicals and plays. Where you have the, this can be viewed as the narrator kind of discussing what's going on with the audience, what you, what happened in the last act before the intermission, and then the curtains open up, you know? But it's, as far as like musicals go, it doesn't make sense for the narrator to participate in the story it, to any degree. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. at the beginning of act one, they're there narrating. So we can say, okay, that's, that's a, you know, just a, a thematic narrator. But then in act two, Act two, they actually participate in the story. They, I mean, if we're to believe the events that actually transpired, which again, we have reason to doubt, but why would they just suddenly enter the story and then just go away and become narrators again? Like it just, it seems more consistent that these are just, I I don't want to say delusions by Hunter, but that they're, they're purposely placed wherever Hunter needs them in his life retrospectively. That makes more sense to me. Well, let's actually track this a little bit further because uh, I don't want to dwell 40 minutes onto this song. Um, so, because I'm reading ahead in the lyrics and I find this really interesting, this whole second stanza, because this is a short song, it's only about a minute. Um, Open eyes, young man, vigilante, hands and a heart prepared for pain, reaffirming how Hunter feels heartbroken from the events that transpired, uh, from the from what happened with the diamond, with misleading that we discussed in the last episode. Um, however, you will lose much more with this vicious war. Past and present stays the same. Um, losing much more with the vicious war, saying like, yes, your heart's broken. There's more shit going on. You're really about to throw yourself into so much more stuff that you didn't even recognize would happen just because you're trying to escape the reality of what happened to you. Um, so past and present being staying the same with that too uh, but the time has come it can be altered some if you listen to our song do we sing in vain does the fact remain there is nothing can't be remain there's nothing can't be done so going into that saying that yes you can change your future if you do move forward and what's really interesting is that this actually kind of connects to the act five in a bit but um we'll get to that i guess with the act five episode but this saying that your your uh your path can be altered being that you can still turn around. You're not in the war yet. You can still turn around. You didn't even enlist. You're good. You can leave right now, make yourself for a much better potential future than what's potentially about to come to you. Cause Casey, from what I've read, had the general roadmap of the entire acts laid out in front of him, And he's kind of going through it. And as he's going, he's laying more and more structures. Like with act five, he brought people on kind of saying, all right, these are the characters I want to be involved uh, but the story's not flowing. How can I do that? But with this, I think it's kind of more solidified in his head. This is more before the Deer Hunter became more of a bigger band experience rather than being like Casey's thoughts projected onto paper. Well, in, in that, that kind of point you made about how the, the lyrics lend to just a, a general advice of, you know, you haven't quite committed to this yet. You can still back out. You can, there's still time for you to get out of this and to go back and face your problems instead of running from them. That, that to me, doesn't sound like the sage-like advice of, of fortune tellers and soothsayers. That, that sounds to me like, again, mm. the regrets of an older man saying... You know, if I could just go back, what would I tell myself? And in this desperate moment, and to me, again, that just makes way, way, way more sense. In that these 
these oracles have to be just a narrative device used as like a retrospective reflection. Yeah, but overall, it's kind of it's just like a precursor. So, do you guys want to get right into the meat of this? Let's get right into it. Incredibly. All right. So, here we have Incayuda. Incayuda Venenuyelm. Quite a venom. Let's do it. All right, let's just try to butcher that pronunciation every single time we bring it up. Let's just let's until eventually it's just all just sounds just ah. All right, so now we're into Enclaudia Venenum. Uh, this song is right. This song starts off with the fucking bombs coming in as hunters in involved in this war. Um, when I said earlier in the episode that Hunter said I need to elaborate on with the connection to Ice Nine Kills in this sense is that Ice Nine Kills their sound because. I felt I discovered the band back in like their first second album around there. So when they did um, when they did every trick in the book, when they started incorporating the more theatrical stuff, that's where I'm like, okay, it's really cool because like you discovered I discovered that with like bands like Flesh God Apocalypse or Fle- Septic Flesh when I was really into that heavy metal phase, um, where the incorporation of orchestra with metal can lead to so really some really cool stuff. And in in Claudio Sanchez Venom is more kind of like uh, it's, it's it's more it's their heaviest song really. This is the song I think that if you say that you're a metalhead and you're trying to get into this band, this is the song I would throw at you. I always throw Act 3 to them because Act 3 is a perfect middle ground between the really heavy-handed first uh, uh, like first couple acts and the softer, more second, uh, more more softer, like fourth and fifth acts. So with this, as you're starting off, you just hear the, um, when you hear the intro come in with the, like, Blow like the blisteringly loud kind of the barrow narrow 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 with the um with the brass coming in. When I first heard this, when I first heard of uh when I first heard this and read the name the Deer Hunters, you know D E A R as in Deer John, as uh Nick uh, Crescenzo so eloquently put it in the New York at, uh stop on the tour. This is like uh I thought this band was going to be a ska band. I didn't know what I was in for, and this kind of attributes more to the Deer Hunters genre bending and genre hopping skills, kind of. Only the likes that I've seen before this was Mr. Bungle. So with what's really cool about this record too is it's really cohesive still and how it maintains everything. And starting with this really heavy-handed song uh, in, in uh, Claudio Venenum is very like it, it's very interesting to me in that sense. And that's kind of what grabbed me when I first heard it. Yeah, and those those horn elements, the way they're incorporated, are very triumphant sounding. I mean, this this sounds like mm-hmm. exactly what it is, which is they're they're getting pumped up for this war. They they know they're heading into battle, and they're they're slapping each other on the back. They're they're getting they're getting jazzed up, and that's what this is. It sounds triumphant. It sounds valiant, uh, and it's I, I think again, it just it's it's the use of music to play to a very specific event, which I, I think this this whole act series does so well. Well, before we break into the meaning of the song, let's just talk about the title. Uh, in Cauda Venenum, uh, it translates to the uh, Latin phrase, the poison is in the tail, which, um, what, do you guys want to discuss like kind of the meat more? So the meaning behind it, it's like, it's, it's, it's more, I'm trying to figure out the best way to say this because it's kind of difficult to put it into words, but it's more kind of, it was referring to a scorpion, like as, as like a very venomous creature. And I don't know if this really kind of connects with, uh, with how Ouroboros with being the snake biting its tail saying how this is kind of the start of Hunter kind of being more I guess you I guess you want to say evil and malicious versus the snake biting its tail in Ouroboros where Hunter's kind of like trapped and he's at powerless like this is kind of still when he has a bit of his power 
I don't know if there's more meaning to that. Uh, I I always interpreted it as because if if we're relating it to a scorpion, which I, I think generally is is how the phrase is supposed to be used. Of course, scorpions have their pinchers and they suck. You don't want to get pinched by a scorpion, but even if mm-hmm. you are, that's not mm-hmm. the part you have to worry about. It's the part at the very end that has the end, the yeah. thing you don't have to worry about. So I, I think using it kind of in a thematic element, it's to say that you know you you think the beginning of this is bad. Wait till you see the yeah. end. Yeah, mm. exactly what I was about to say on to. Oh, I stole it from your. I stole it from your notes, actually. So <laughs> <laughs> you stole it from from the True Name Music uh, uh, blog that wasn't released. Oh yet. yeah, I forgot that Nick did. Did they do this song yet? I don't know. I didn't check. I like I said. I like I like viewing this objectively because I think it's much more entertaining, I guess, for the listeners to hear things that might be altered, like alternative perspectives. But mm. um. So I did, I kind of broke into the lyrics from the last song. So do one of you guys want to take it for this song? Well, real quick, before we move on to lyrics, we should talk about the, the rift of the song. Since we're on we the should, music, yes. We should, yes. Hunter about. mentioned it before the, for our pre-flight. But um, yeah, the, the riff, uh, Rube, I think you should discuss that. Yeah, so this is something that has been confirmed by Casey himself. But the, the riff uh, of this song, I won't try and butcher the title again do it and, and, do and it. the riff the riff being the very intro of the, yeah, the uh, very intro yeah da, 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 da. it's yeah. it's kind of a, a reversed kind of bastardized version of uh city escape from act one so it's kind of i guess it's kind of borrowing from kind of the chaos of what's happening in that song as well is kind of meant to remind you of that and also kind of give the song that same kind of vibe of yeah before we're, we're right in the action now well right Bef- here i'm actually going to put in the um right here right here uh when you're listening i'm going to put in the first few seconds of in in uh claudio sanchez venom and then right afterwards i'm going to put in the reversed riff of uh of city escape so you can hear it side by side All right, now Welcome that's back. done. Hunter. <laughs> yeah. Sounds uh, great. I, I, before we ascribe this uh, too much to our own brilliance and kind of uh, figuring this out, Casey did actually comment on this specifically on the Lake and the River thread. Uh, and he, he said that the reason he reversed it is because in City Escape thematically, um, I'm going to read pretty much direct quotes here. Uh, he wanted it to be frantic, but in your elements, meaning that although she's escaping the city and it's a very frenetic environment, it's, it's confusing and alarming and terrible. She knows the city and she knows that she needs to get out whereas in this case it's the opposite it's frantic but out of your elements so it's it's basically the same kind of um, craziness that's that city escape had but it's the exact reversed reason for the craziness it's it's going into something you don't know instead of leaving something you yeah do. you know what i mean like it's supposed to be the same feeling but yeah it's a familiar feeling in a in an unfamiliar right. environment situation sure and I, i'm sure that i managed to somehow completely destroy what casey was trying to get to with that but i think that's the general to, you know point of, yeah. of the reversal it makes sense i, I guess that all yeah that's really interesting how that connects to it i also one thing i read um but because as we're recording this uh the fascio satio tour just finished so um I think it was the LA date. Um, someone asked Casey about when he was writing the melodies. Did he think that the thematic elements would come back in the form of reprises or musical motifs later on in the records? 
And from what I get, from what I read, uh, Casey said more so along the lines, and you'd probably hear this by the time this ep comes out. I think the podcast from that tour will be out. But um, from what I gathered, Casey said that he didn't expect to have riff reprises come back. But when he wrote certain themes and melodies, that he knew they would have some level of importance to come back later on. I think this could have been a case where Casey had these riffs in his hat, and he kind of picked one, he picked out the uh, the cityscape, and he's like, this would be a smart and interesting way to kind of connect what happened yeah. with the other acts and make it feel more like a cohesive experience because all the acts are basically just one big song. Yeah, and thematically it, it works yeah. very well in this instance. So with that, that out of the way, we can we can move on to the lyrics. Uh, who's taking this? Uh, well, I, I have them pulled up, so I, I suppose I can uh, read through them and we'll, we'll analyze them together. I will lead okay. this sermon. And just before we get into this, Rude, do you have any bad takes lined up for us in this episode? Or are we going to... Yeah, get them out of the way now if you have any terrible opinions. War is good. <laughs> no. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Mm-hmm. Go get your gun and go to war. I think Rue was telling me earlier that he actually sides with uh, the father in this case. Yeah, he God, Rue, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was confidential, Hunter. <laughs> Let, let's wait. Let's talk for a second. When we were at the New York date, Rue was so... Well, he was about to get picked to answer the question of the story for... He said he had a story for what happened. And he, the, Nick was right next to him with the uh, mic, ready to hand it to him, and then he ran somewhere else. Yeah, that, and like, that was heartbreaking. I was literally like, Rue's arm was up, and I was fucking pointing to his head, like just saying, "Come on, go pick him." And like Nick was running over to us, and then he ran somewhere else, and Rue got he got fucking stiffed out of a uh, color spectrum complete from that. But whoever won that, congratulations, though. Anyway, uh, now lyrics. <laughs> Okay, uh, well, I mean, it starts out, uh, I, I guess I'll just read them line for line until we have something to say. Uh, we're, biting our, we're biting our tongues, and then in the background, biting our time. Uh, so That's so smart, just that alone. A li- little bit of play on the, the phonetic similarities of biting and biting. Uh, and then we have... This a tear apparition yeah, podcast this, awoken. This might be our first uh, instance of apparition, which apparition... Yeah, keeps popping up in the story in a lot of ways. Do, in in what way do we think that this apparition connects to the ones that are used later? Because later it seems like he's using it almost to, you know, kind of affectionately regard his mother or those those that he knew that are gone. But in in this way, I mean, this is so early in the story. There's there's nothing. Uh, what apparition do you suppose this is? Is do you think this is his, his mother? It's um inner well, tor- in, inner turmoil. I mean, maybe maybe the. The lyrics afterwards can kind of give a clue. So it's an apparition with an urge to own and occupy. Whoever said this so, was easy. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe oh, this is something interesting. Uh, I'm reading on on the genius for this interpretation. Uh, it translates to poison the tail, a reference to the pain to come for the deer hunter, as noted in writing on a wall. Yet as hunter enlists, he and his comrades now await the war to commence. Some nervously bite their tongues while others eagerly bide their time in anticipation of the conflict. And the apparition, of course, being the war, or rather the spirit of war and conflict, like, I guess, Ares, which drives men to own, occupy, and destroy territory, political and social systems, and life itself. The frantic horns, guitar, and drums throughout throughout the song highlight the fervor surrounding the coming of war and foreshadows the chaos to come. So the spirit of war. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess. I mean, I, I can't remember. Because that makes a lot of sense. An apparition awoken with an urge to own and occupy whoever said this was easy. Kind of like 
what's in your head and what you're kind of expecting to happen versus what is actually happening. Well, the only the only reason I don't necessarily I'm not saying I disagree with that interpretation. It's just when Casey set up a lot of these reprisals and and lyrical kind of. you know, when he brings up lyrics again, they they almost always have some sort of connection to each other. And so to use apparition in this way, we're saying it's like the spirit of war. It just seems too disconnected from the other apparitions that are referenced and they're referenced pretty heavily. So it just, it seems, I I don't know, it's too disconnected from the other uses of apparition. Yeah. But that that does make Mm -hmm. sense. I mean, because that would be the only thing I could imagine that would have an urge to own and occupy. That sounds very European to me. Is it European? Rue, I think you can speak on that, right? <laughs> uh, Wait, I hold mean, up. Did you just say European? Hunter, you're fucking fired. I didn't Get say in here. I didn't say European. I just said European. I mean, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think as as a British person, I can really... <laughs> yeah, you should really keep your mouth shut on this one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, just just reading that lyric has, yeah. has Rue salivating over there. Anyway, oh my God. Let's, let's move on here. So, a majesty's massacre floods the fields of red. Uh, blood to your body naturally rushes the blood to your head. To your head. Um, yeah, I, I mean, this is... What the fuck was that? I mean, I, I, this was like just a... This was that was my attempt at a scream. Did I do okay? I I didn't know if you're. I thought you were referencing a song, and I'm like, I'm, refer- I'm referencing this song where it's like, to your head. But I mean, obviously, it, it, yeah, obviously it doesn't it doesn't scream. But in my head, I always picture it as like a guttural, and that's my attempt at a guttural. Yeah, sure. Let's go. We'll go with that. We'll do that. The whitest thing ever. Anyway, um, so yeah, I think this is really cool imagery. Just straight up of of the reality of war really of it's it's not kind of as you'd imagine playing first person shooters like call of duty or whatever it's it's just chaos blood everywhere fields of red uh man that sounds what's the majesty for though because it's it's used in like a possessive sense a majesty's massacre a majesty is this I guess it's like the powers, you know, like like the political powers, mm. in this sense, maybe who are because in effect they're the ones sending these people to to their own demise. Well, and we do have a, a lyric later that, sense, that kind of plays to that as well. It's um, yeah. Let's see here. Oh yeah, so the uh, verse two where it says, "Oh, what a terrible, terrible game we play, replacing a pawn for a body." And the players, politicians, who say what they need to say. That's basically what you were just saying, which is that the politicians are sitting back yeah. and and making all yeah, this the happen. Yeah, ma- the majesty. They're the ones giving the orders, but not actually getting involved. That flow is just incredibly well delivered. Yeah. But uh, I guess you should go into the chorus though, because that's yeah. verse two. And we cry, "Whoa!" What do you think the "whoa" means? Oh, I can only imagine. <laughs> Ignore, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that is that is such a word. Uh, who knows what woe means? Yeah, I don't. Th- I don't think we can know. That's too much. Too much of an enigma for me. Too too vague. Anyway, so uh, yeah, we we cannot allow this. This is terrible. With ideals, we're idle as they lust for more. Uh, again, he's using this this uh, kind of phonetic wordplay that I think is just from a from a poetic standpoint really interesting. I mean, obviously, music is poetry, but I'd say this is like a step above. This is closer to poetry than traditional like song lyrics, you know. 
let's break down this chorus here because I, I think there's some conflicting elements between the the first and the last line there. The and we cry, we cannot allow this. This is terrible. And then the last line being, we've never been so excited to see you before. Um, so I, in in what thing are they decrying as as terrible? I mean, this is this is World War One basically. If if no one knew, this is a stand-in for World War One. Um, I mean, obviously there were there were forces in World War One that were uh, quite bad, um, but I, I don't know that there was anything that was so egregiously terrible that they would they would join together in a voice to say, "Ah, we can't we can't allow them to do this." I don't, I, I think it is more about just the fact of being at war and then having a, a much more kind of uh, what would be the word like just a, a compassionate moment of thinking we're 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 fighting a politician's war for them and we're we're just letting them tell us what to do we're letting that, them but that last line there order us to kill people it's yeah that last line you know we've never been so excited mm. to see you before uh I, the, the so excited part it doesn't sound like you know, uh, condescending to me, like, oh, we've never been so excited. Like, it, it, it kind of keeps striking this contradictory tone of of being pumped up for the battle and being kind of brainwashed in the way that that a soldier kind of naturally has to be, and also being self aware of the circumstances surrounding the war. So I, I don't know which tone it's trying to strike there. I uh, I think it might be like the military, like the actual military themselves is like they've ne- they didn't care who you are, but now you're like you know fighting on the line with them they they're really excited to have you enlisted and be our pawn in this kind of mm. grand scheme of a great war so maybe it's just like a hint of manipulation in that point of, of making making these these soldiers or if we want to if we want to take it super deep maybe the the contradictory yeah. kind of tone there is intentional because I, I imagine many soldiers feel a certain amount of conflict between their their traditional like moral. a case of like a case of double sync maybe sure i mean well because you, you have to I mean, having having been in the military, I, I know that brainwashing is 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 part of the process. Like it's 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 inherent to the process to be brainwashed and to to be ready to follow commands and to to follow commands before questioning your own sensibility. So perhaps this is that that inner turmoil of a soldier of doing something they may not necessarily know or agree with, but all they know is that they're fighting for the people by their side and that the enemy is bad man, not Batman, yes. but bad man. So maybe if we want to take it super deep, maybe maybe that's, that contradictory tone is is the point of the song. Yeah. I can't wait till Casey hears this and he's just like, man, I fucking can't you stand these assholes. So Casey, well, he's just like, you guys are he's so chewing wrong. his tongue so much as just bleeding. I think for that reason specifically, Casey will never listen to this. I, I think Nick told me as much. He basically said, yeah, because well, I mean, even with the, the Accent Origins podcast, the reason they had to kind of stop it, which is why we don't have anything to go on here. Uh, is because he doesn't like being involved in his own work very much well, at all. When I spoke, when I spoke to Casey, extending the invitation for him to come on our podcast, where he, uh, like he basically said, because I said to him, like we're doing, uh, we're doing an Act Three episode. Would you like to be featured on that? Would you rather have your own interview? And he's like, I feel like you'd get more out of it, my own interviews. Like the, I'm like, well, we're doing this uh, as in like album breakdown. If you want it to be like a spiritual successor to the accent origin podcast with fans who actually really care about your music and people who want to like hear your perspectives. And he basically said how he doesn't really like talking about himself or looking at his works like that. He kind of just likes creating it and moving forward. He'd rather have just like a discussion more than breaking this down. So 
Which is why I imagine he will never listen. If he listens to any episodes, it probably won't be these ones. That would be like us listening to a podcast, breaking down our podcast. I'd love like to hear just, that. You have to keep <laughs> you have to keep a certain amount of healthy disconnection there from yeah. your own work and and the kind of reverence that's built up around it. Because I mean, not only would Casey probably disagree with our interpretations, but we probably have many listeners who are like, "No, you idiots! It's exactly this 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 obscure thing Casey said nine years ago in, the, in his basement uh, that he, on fucking Skype." Yeah, that he, that he wrote on shock in the middle of Times Square. In the middle of Times Square. Like, <laughs> no. Yeah, there's there's something somewhere that we may have missed, and and that's that's the cool thing about the story is that the, it's there there are things about it that aren't so set in stone, and to even find those little nuggets of of concrete information is mm. uh, almost changes everything about it. So if if you disagree with with the things we're saying. Uh, well, we have the podcast. So <laughs> we ha- it's over. We so, have the high ground. <laughs> just suck it up. No, we 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 want to hear we want to hear the feedback because uh, we're not just doing this uh, as as entertainers. I use that as loosely as I possibly can. But we're doing it as fans. So yeah. if for some reason I'm misinterpreting the story, I want to know as accurately as I can what it's about. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've I've never misinterpreted this story. <laughs> never ever, especially not. All in right, the no, all right. Let's move on. Let's move on. Okay, <laughs> let's, let's get let's get away from giving Rue the power. <laughs> just take that. Just take back the microphone. Um, you don't want the British having power over you guys. <laughs> just like you don't like the European Union having power over you. And anyway, this is a terrible episode two. to bring up being European in because this this whole. Anyway, uh, I think we could probably skip to. I think we could probably skip to the outro, which which is kind of an interesting little aside from the main theme. Uh, no, did what about the pre-chorus? Pre-chorus, because yes. there's a new pre-chorus after verse two. Uh, okay, uh, now with hands aligned, arms hands moved aligned. tonight. Here with a brace of eyes, arms moved tonight. Uh, th- me, I just I always read this as being like in lockstep, like their their actions are so kind of pre-trained and pre-programmed that they're all just you know hands aligned. They're all moving in coordination with each other, so everything's aligned and. Um, well, you you actually were in the military though, because so you you might actually be the legitimate hunter. Uh, no, there so, there are far too many aspects about my life that strangely coincide with the with the story of Hunter, and it's it's a little creepy. I don't know if art is imitating life or if life is imitating art, but uh, this is a little too. Is your mom still alive? Uh, I haven't talked to her in a couple hours, so <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> Just don't don't burn down any churches, well, Hunter. Whatever you, you know, do, I'm making my way there. That's that's an that's an Act Five thing. I haven't gotten to Act Five yet. I'm about Act Four Hunter right now. Anyway, yeah, I always read this as just them being kind of coordinated in lo- in lockstep, um, pain in plain sight. They're just watching the horrors of war, or, the, or perhaps they're beholding. Because I don't think the battle started at this point, has it? I think they're just kind of marching through the fields and they're seeing the devastation. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it's more them seeing it, and then um, what, I don't think the war actually starts until like what it means to be alone, maybe. I think really this is them just marching through the fields that have already seen battle and they're they're witnessing the horrors that are about to befall them. They're saying, Oh shit, this happened to the people here before. Look at yeah. all these look at all the blood, look at all the dead bodies, look at all the destruction. We're going into this. Uh we gotta pump ourselves up while simultaneously being, you know, dreadful of it. I, I think this I think the whole song really is just about reality kicking in. Mm-hmm. About the reality yeah. of war, about the uh the horror the, the atrocities that you're gonna see yeah but at this point at this point it's second hand they're seeing the aftermath of previous yeah. atrocities and they're yeah and they're realizing they're about to enter into a world of pain 
which makes sense for the outro. I got to say something about this outro. Well, first thing I got to say is funny is I'm looking at the, uh, I'm on the Genius page and I see Saints Row 3 soundtrack on here. So I, I, that's kind of funny. But uh, for the outro, when I first heard this, because um, keep in mind, I heard this song completely out of context when I fir- for the first time. Because Rue, mm-hmm. I think you jumped on around Migrant Era. Hunter, you jumped on pretty early, right? Uh, I actually much much later than you would think uh, about the color spectrum era, but um, okay. I think so I wasn't too... really really super into it until Act Four. So like when I uh, when I jumped into that because like when I was listening to the song and I hear the outro, I always wanted to skip the outro because I didn't get it because the song is just like uh, it sounded it sounded like a very kind of war ish song, and then it's like he's talking about how I see oh when I think about your eyes, when I think about your smile, when I dream about your lies, traveled all this way just to find love. It's like um. I didn't know what the fuck he was going on about this. Now going back into this with uh, the context of the rest of the discography, understanding this is about misleading and understanding how this is about him escaping misleading, but still kind of feeling a bit of regret and a bit of heartbreak still. Mm-hmm. I, I almost, yeah. I almost think of this outro as like a, if, if, uh, if black Sandy beaches and uh, dear misleading are the call, I think this is like the response in that it's almost like he's writing a letter of a completely different tone than what happened in act two. Like it's, yeah, I think that based on a musical device that's used, that this is literally just him reminiscing about stuff. And the reason I think that is because there's a rhythm in this outro that is used time and time again throughout the acts whenever Hunter is reminiscing, it's that kind of that kind of rhythm and it's used time and time again. I mean we'll we'll come to it when we get to the later episodes, but Can you can you think of any other examples off the top of your head just so we can kinda of contextualize? So there's who am I? Uh who am I? Uh... Okay. Is that feel good? It sounds like feel good ink. This is it is feel good. That's <laughs> it's ba- they're basically the same song. Yeah. There's that. There's also um. No, is that Clint Eastwood? There actually? is another one. I don't know. I don't there know is, much. There about is the another one that. Uh, yeah. So who am I? There's the part in the revival as well, which is basically who am I as well, and and it, it it's all about reminiscing and and mm-hmm. being introspective in that in that moment. So it's a cool it's a cool little rhythmic aspect. Another thing to mention as well is on the line traveled all this way just to find love. We hear that uh, vital vessels vindicate motif again. The uh... oh yeah 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 I hear that love. So it's uh, yeah I, I think that's an interesting thing to point out as well. Well, I haven't I haven't heard that interpretation of it, but now I am horrified to know that. Or I, I'm I'm just I'm terrified of just knowing that not only are there like musical reprisals there's rhythmic reprisals and now i have to look for those too yes this is so much work have you not watched my video hunter i it's been it's been a very long time uh i i I know that i'll never be any make anything that's as halfway as good so i'm scared of watching it again (laughs) you're too kind what do you think the significance of that uh vital vessels vindicate well i'm not sure what he means by traveled all this way just to find love because in in no way does he do that as a matter of, he's doing the exact opposite he traveled all this way to escape love i, I think it's ironic i think it's meant to be like 
He traveled all the way to the city to find love, and now he's kind of fleeing from it. I, I think it's meant. It's, I don't think it's meant to be literal. I think it's supposed to be like. More I, don't, I don't think there's anything or, more anti-love than war. Or maybe, yeah. maybe this is him yeah. saying that he can't escape it. So, oh, when I think about your eyes, when I think about your smile, when I dream about your lies. I traveled all this way just to find love, meaning that he tried to escape it, but he came all this way to get away from it, and he still found it again. It, it chased him. It haunts him. I, I think that kind of jives with the whole "when I dream about your lies" think, because they, it's, it's like I think haunting this is him. the only time. This is like the only time in the uh, in this act where he thinks about misleading, if I recall. Maybe like in the next track too, but I think that's it. Uh, the rest of this is just kind of like a transitional piece. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to say too firmly, but I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking through it. But uh, I, I, one thing, uh, I guess since we're done with the a- analysis, I think this is a good time to just talk production quickly. Yeah, um, sure. So, Rue, let me, let me guide you into uh, my dungeon. Uh, we got cookies. Yes. So let's talk about production. Um, Pancakes. Yeah, I, I love that anytime production comes up, it's basically just shut the fuck up hunter time because I have no idea... <laughs> What no, the- I mean, you could see things though with us is like you could discuss how something makes you feel, and we can kind of discuss how it does that, you know? I'm fine stepping back from this one. You guys can take but, it. But uh, we're not going to be super long with this. But uh, one thing I always keep noting about it is uh, Nick's drums. Because uh, wow. this, the snare, when you, when you hear the intro of the song, it's like it's explosive. You hear the yeah. percussion of writing on a wall, right? Where it's more, um, it's more kind of there for ambiance, and my cat better leave me the fuck alone right now. Uh, it's good for ambiance, but the, um, but when the actual like drum kit kicks in, that snare is huge. It's a lot of like room mm-hmm. mic involved with it, and a lot of saturation on the room mics to give it really a big beefy sound. And um, this doesn't sat fuck off. Sorry, my cat's bothering me. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. So going into the looking at uh. The, the um i guess he's kind of joining me i'm sorry i'm losing focus but looking at the uh, the way the drums are being used jesus man get it together <laughs> it's the, uh, it has like that genty kind of feel where it's like that kind of percussive syncing up with the uh with the horns rather than syncing mm. up with the actual um with the actual guitars and like what's traditional and more modern progressive like genty style music and uh with the guitars too one thing i really do love about casey is that his uh the way he uses guitars is the way guitars were actually meant to be used when the instrument was first created. The instrument was first created to be like more of a background percussive kind of sound. And Casey's using it like that. He's using it to sit back from the, uh, from all the, uh, strings and like from all the bigger elements at play. And when you're seeing him use the riffs, they're more for atmosphere and they're more for textures. Like he does that a lot in black sandy peaches where you hear the, uh, the guitar work is just there at more kind of a synthy kind of sound rather than being actual focus guitar. Mm. So Rue, what do you think about that? Like what do you yeah. think about the production? What really stands out to you about this album? Uh, well, first off, like it's pretty consistent throughout the whole album. The drum mixing is incredible. It's some of the best drum mixing. This is like when we spoke about in the episode zero, when we when we said that this is the more military focused production is what kind of like lends his hand to feeling like a war because it's meant to be more kind of insane and chaotic, and that's why I think this album is very much for like the metal fan because it that's what in metal that's what's the primary focus or one of them for mixing our vocals and drums. Those are like yeah. really required to have that big explosive heavy sound, and that's what lends to this song being one of the heaviest songs by the Deer Hunter. Hmm. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think in terms of production on this song, the 
the real highlight is just the complete contrast between the whole song and then the outro it's because despite being so different they still belong on the same track and i think it it's it's very difficult to be able to do that well yeah so i i just think arrangement wise it it it's just a really well made and well produced track this is honestly like this might be their welcome home quite possibly i it is one of my standout tracks god the the, the more the more coheed connections we draw the the more i'm red as even because that's the best way to describe it because like i could say it's like they're wonderwall but it's really not like the reason why i'm referencing welcome home is because welcome home yes it's like the most known coheed song however it deserves to be out there because it's an incredibly well written song so like with this too you know oh hunter's about i heard that lip smacking you about to interject I I shouldn't because all, all I'm gonna do is just is just include my own kind of negative feelings about about certain aspects of Coheed, which which isn't relevant for the discussion at hand. So I, I'm gonna take your interpretation as as uh, ins- inspired correctly. So go ahead. All right. Anyway, so with the uh, so with this song, it's like uh, the just the concept of mixing this. I think this was also mixed by Casey. If I'm correct with that, I could check the liner notes. I think this album actually included someone else as well. I can't remember what his name was. It says written by Casey. It doesn't, and it says the label is Triple Crown. I don't see who mixed it. Yeah, there's a there was another guy who was involved in the production of this album, and he hasn't. Was it done Mike Watts? Any, no, he hasn't done anything else since then. And other than that, he hasn't really huh. done anything significant either. Uh, let me do the I'm very Googling professional us. thing and Google as I'm talking about the thing I'm supposed to know about. Um, let's see. Yeah, it says it was. Uh, it says the producers Casey Crescenzo. Uh, and it says it. Mike's walk. Mike Mike Watts mix. Yeah. So I, pre- I guess Mike Watts is. I got first of all, he's a local uh, producer. He lives about a town over from me, um, and he's insanely good. He also mixed this uh, wonderful artist called the Rose Monarch, which you all should check out. Uh, their song "Breathe In" is really good, and they did a uh, a kind of live version in an apartment in Queens, but the uh mike watts really knows his shit with mixing so because when i when i think of mike watts i think of the more pretty sounds involved with acts four and five and like migrant but this is like really really interesting to think that mike watts mixed this in my, in my opinion anyway there i promise there was another person involved in the production of this because oh. i was just looking them up earlier and i kind Listeners, of i saw that that is they, your homework uh, who else was involved on this record yeah <laughs> oh my god do do the research yeah because apparently i can't do my job adequately no i I just well he he has his own band whoever he is he he's based out of like nashville or or something like that and uh, the last thing he ever did was was act three and he hasn't done anything since or anything significant before that so his his connection to casey and to the project uh, was very vague uh, even with the information Mm. i could find so i I think his name is like andy something i don't know but anyway uh i i I shouldn't even speak on it. I, apparently, I'm not knowledgeable enough. Mike Watts is great. Uh, check out the Rose Monarch because they're fucking awesome as well. Uh, April, their vocalist, she's an incredible vocalist. But anyway, finishing up the production to this, yeah, the uh, the horns are really great too. And the concept of mi- the idea of mixing this in my mind seems like a nightmare because having everything ha- be powerful but still sit together in this mix must just be like absolutely insane to even yeah. think about undertaking. Yeah, it's a great mixing job. 
I think I think Steve once said that he uses this album to test his uh, studio equipment because he thinks it's so well mixed that yeah I it's, I it's use the best um, way to, I actually use he said he had a story and, uh, because he said he had a story has a very airy kick drum so like you hear like the and then you hear like the snare come and the snare is really big the kicks are very airy so if I'm testing out new equipment I want to hear how the low end sounds and how it kind of bleeds in together. That's what I use, and I also use actually in uh, in in Cootie Venom for um, for testing out how the dynamics work because it's just incredibly well done. Another album that I use is uh, Diamond Eyes by Deftones, but um, yeah, overall I think this is just an awesome, well done, well mixed album. Uh, it's probably my favorite album if we're talking production because this is the perfect balance about like refinement, like being really refined in studio quality, as well as having that raw energy that exists from the band not being super well known yet this is like right before casey started doing the like living room tours mm. any other notes you want guys want to add here or are we uh going to move on to what it means to be alone i think we get to move swiftly onwards album good that's my my note all right Wimtaba. Anyway, um, yeah, I think this is the the first time that because this this has an accompanying music video. I think this is the first time we ever got any sort of. Um, I don't know if it's a music video. It's like a more of an acoustic rendition. For what it means to be alone? No, there's a full blown music video. Yeah. For, for the one in Tahoe State Park? No, no. no I mean, no. That, I mean, he does that too. But they he it's made like a, like a, a little like a drawing kind of animated short oh no i did see that that's the one that kind of like showcases like well basically all all of the story of act three but like in that video yeah it, it brings in a few different songs in there but i think this is the first time uh, the music video for this that we even got any sort of um direct representation of the story and so it, it, it introduces hunter as a character it introduces the thief which will come in a little bit later and quite a few care. I mean, go watch the music video, uh, listeners, if you haven't already. That way you can kind of follow along here. But uh, do one of you guys want to take the lyrics? Because I am sleepy. All right. So for what it means to be alone, Rue, you want to take this one? Okay. Yeah. So it kicks off with O. <laughs> <laughs> and then it continues. All right. Well, thank, thanks for your input. And then it continues <laughs> with you were born with the sun and O. So we're hearing O again. We've got a little <laughs> reprise there. Of you mm. to <laughs> what does that reprise mean? What do you What do you think? Is that a reprise, or is that just like a motif? Oh, yeah, there's there's so much to. It's not to be there. confused with whoa. Yeah. Oh, hang on a second. Do you think that the there the, the, the similarity means something? Uh, yeah. Um, hmm. Hmm. Oh, and whoa. Hmm. Anyway. And oh, you will die. I th- I think we're making fun of ourselves by by faking uh, making looking too far into something. <laughs> So we're, we're kind of being self-deprecating here. Anyway, Rue, please uh, continue. Oh, you were born with the sun, and oh, you will die with the moon, and everything you thought you had you lost, but now you'd never lose what you don't have. Prayers from above never answered quite enough, and now the only one you have is you. So, so we should just cut off that is. is. Yeah, just end it right there. <laughs> well, the song showed me the dynamics of this record much but this is kind of what dragged me in because as I'm listening to this, actually, I could still imagine where I was when I was listening to this song. I was listening to it on my phone and I think I was standing in a staple somewhere. And I just remember standing there listening to this song. And I'm just like, holy shit, this is a big shift because 
you go from one of the heaviest songs in their discography to one of the most intimate. And the song's pretty polarizing, too. I know a lot of people who like to who usually skip this song, kind of like Blood of the Rose. Well, this this song, I think, is, is the first, like... Um kind of um, firsthand accounts or thoughts by Hunter of the situation because it's he's kind of reflecting on some stuff. So um, he was, he's reflecting on his own birth and then he's kind of hearkening back to what the Oracle said about his inevitable death, which again, we can kind of talk about whether or not that's a thing that literally happened. Um, but he's basically saying that everything you had, you lost, but you'd never lose what you don't have. So I, I think he's kind of torn on what his relationship with Misty Leading was, whether or not he actually had something real with her or whether or not it was something fake that he couldn't have lost because it wasn't real in the first yeah, place. Yeah, I think it's just whatever whatever he did have, he now doesn't have, and now he has nothing left to lose is what I'm kind of grasping from this. Because yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he has nothing. No he doesn't have his mother. He doesn't have his love life anymore. He, he's got nothing to lose. Yeah, this song is very accurate with the title, what it means to be alone. He's literally just lonely like he's kind of settling in just like hunter said thinking about man i just signed up for war i'm over here i'm putting my life on the line for is this and really then he's, he's kind of conflicting uh, throughout this this album and then act four uh touched on a little bit too he has this kind of conflict with his his own personal beliefs as far as like religion or divinity goes and he kind of he seems to be angry at at god or, or kind of questioning the the nature of of whatever God there might be or he believes in or whatever there is. Cause he's saying his prayers aren't answered. You know, later on he even talks about whether or not he even believes in God. So I think this is. Well, not even, not even never answered, never answered yeah. quite enough. So he, it shows that he's really asking for much more than could be fixed. Just based on that alone, because it, with the outro of this, uh, with the bridge and the outro, um, with with our feet beneath us and with our hands to the sky we extend our limbs begging why oh why don't turn away going into prayers from above never answered quite enough looking up never offered you too much now the only one you have is and then it cuts off where it starts leading to the tank but this actually it start this starts off the kind of the thematic presence of him screaming why oh why why would you allow this why did i well, do maybe this he's kind why of also self-aware of the fact that he asks a lot because when, he, when he's saying prayers from above never answered quite enough meaning that the, they are answered but they're not exactly the way he wants them to be like he, he he wanted love and he found it but it wasn't quite what he expected and and then he wanted to escape and he did but it wasn't really quite what he thought it would be so he he gets these opportunities to do things yeah. and then he just he experiences the reality of life which is that nothing or things are rarely the way you expect them or want them to be so it's almost like he's acknowledging that he's a little uh, kind of selfish and childlike mm. I, I guess that leads on to the chorus quite well with a cruel and bitter heart cold and in love uh left here naked in the sun so yeah with a cruel yeah he's basically just talking to himself yeah again. he's talking about how he ran away from his problems and uh how how he was in love and lost it it's, again very whiny hunter is extremely whiny he needs a therapist Oh, yeah, yeah I, I forgot we were talking about the story. Sorry, I was just being self-reflective for a moment. <laughs> uh, and then this this has only begun as the bombs are bursting on. So I think at this point still, he hasn't even seen battle, but he's... Yeah, poison, poison like is in the town. Yeah, like we were talking about in the last song. Yeah. Like, he he's he's experiencing, like, oh, shit, look at all this stuff that's happening. I have to go into this? This is... And then he's hearing the bombs bursting. He's like, oh, fuck, I've got to go deal with this now. Let me 
reflect on how I even ended up here. Yeah. So again, the, Hunter always strikes this nice balance between like, like uh, self-realization or self-actualization and and like uh, delusion or rejection. Like he he kind of aggrandizes himself while simultaneously putting himself down, which I, I think is perhaps another trait he and I share. Uh, but he he's he's just self-aware enough to make it seem like he knows what's going on, mm. but he he's not quite there to realize he's the source of his problems. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's that point of he's getting there, being almost maturing, but not being he can't even he can't even plead he can't even plead mm-hmm. ignorance here. Like and like some people can say that they're they're just not self aware enough to realize what was going on. Like they they were fooled themselves or they misinterpreted a situation. And so oh geez, I made a mistake. But in this case, Hunter does in in a lot of ways understand the situation and he he shows these signs of knowing that he's overreacting or knowing that he's not handling it the right way. But he's just so stubborn that he doesn't give a fuck. He's still so set in this. How could this happen to me? How could I do this to myself? Yeah, I'm so. I'm so mistreated. I'm so misfortunate. Woe is me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So he's, he's just self-aware enough. It's, it's annoying that he can't just connect the dots and, and take responsibility for his own actions. Which again, I, I'm just self-reflecting at this point. <laughs> yeah. But just, and even looking at the uh, smoke arose on azimuth glares, azimuth glares being like from the side, from a, from the sky, from celestial kind of mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. things, uh, bodies brewed in frigid winter air where families, sons are rods beneath their feet. Uh, kind of, Heart and hearts can see that kind of shows a connection that these aren't just targets. They are people with families and like people to go back to. They have parents, and you're taking away their family. But yeah, it's, he's almost reflecting on the nature of war and soldiers. Like because the whole abovo and ad astra, those are translated from I think. F- from birth Latin. and then to the sky or to stars or something like that. And it's basically saying like they these people were born and they lived their whole lives just to die here for nothing. Like what that Actually no, that's really interesting though. You're you're kind of missing out on something. I had Astra uh translates to to the stars, which is on the uh pendant which exists for the Royal Air Force. So mm-hmm. Rue, that, could you give uh that's input on that? Uh do you no. just know that off the top of your head or do you see that somewhere? I'm, I'm pretty sure he's reading the same source as me because I've just seen that. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I mean, it, paired with Abovo, though, because am I correct in saying that means like from birth from, or something from like that? From yeah. I, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I mean, I, I don't want to kind of strong arm my own opinion here, but it does seem like he's he's decrying the the uselessness of human life because he's already talked about how soldiers are pawns and yeah. how they're I mean, just it, wasted in a yeah. game that they're they're not even involved in so it's it's like he's saying like you were born as people and you lived your whole lives just to die here away from your you were where family's sons were robbed beneath their feet they were robbed they were stolen it was a waste yeah i mean it's it's decrying the the it's confirmed in the next two lines as well we thought we had a cause for suffering and reason enough to die alone but that there is no cause also just one thing to mention with ad astra is um ad astra the movie was based on this song uh, we discussed it more in depth in the Max episode, so go listen to that if you want more details from from that. But I just wanted to touch upon that and kind of make some continuity. Yes. Yeah, anyway, speaking sorry, of right. being robbed, the deer hunter was robbed of, of the credit for <laughs> this. But anyway, 
Yeah, so I think this, this he's basically just realizing, like, this, I, I ran away from my problems into this fucking nightmare. Why would I leave such a small inconvenience for this this horrifically terrible thing yeah. where other people are trying to do it for noble reasons? And even if they're wasting their lives, they're doing it for a purpose. They're doing it because they, they feel inspired. They do it like they feel like they're doing the right thing. I'm just, I'm just running away. Mm. It's, uh, again, just enough self-realization to almost get the point but missing it completely yeah yeah oh yeah um i think really not much more to really go beyond that uh, we just kind of d- dissected this song to the core but yeah the song is just one also one of my kind of favorite songs to like lay back and listen to it's just this album just for me is paced so incredibly well i mean you can argue that the last kind of third of it is uh not paced as well but then it also has some of the most beautiful songs that the band's written so but um anyway i guess we were good to move on to the tanks yeah the heavy hitter of the tank all right let's go cue music (laughs) i hope you're gonna leave those vocal cues in because listening to them without the music there is just so absurd I know, but it also gives me time because I, so I want to, um, uh, I like to be able to just kind of load my shit up. So anyway, the tank, um, this is where we actually start song, to see battle. Yeah. This song I also, uh, remember listening to in, uh, staples, uh, cause I, you're looking at this and when you're looking at this from a very fresh perspective, uh, you see a song called the tank and then you hear the trudging, uh, strings kind of like moving forward it feels sounds like wheels of a tank and this is kind of like a hunter looking at the tank and he's just like well shit yeah it's it kind of it's it's the same thing he did with like the trains in act two where he's just he's almost creating this musical onomatopoeia of just recreating yeah. a, a realistic sound with with music it's, and you hear this kind of squeaking creaking rolling it's kind of type thing yeah right it, before the song comes in that's yeah, a transition it's kind games. of like boss music in a way that, that that's the vibe I always get from this of like yeah so far you, you haven't seen anything and now we have this big death machine that is literally built to cause as much damage as possible and you know yeah. you haven't seen nothing yet this is this is the boss this is the boss music yeah and, and honestly there's not too much to dive into with this song because it really is just a, a very uh, myopic representation of of just the battle beginning. It's just a, a tank showing up, blowing some shit to bits. It's not stopping. It's scary. It's intimidating. Uh, they are powerless against it. Um, but it's also lo- being very literal too. Like yeah. eight wheels lusting for the lives of infantry. His bearings shift. His turrets turning from accountability. He takes to his aim. Like hearing those lyrics kind of tied into it really solidifies the fact of like the horror about to ensue. And then, and then, in some of the verses, we have again that that kind of um, internal conflict of soldiers. The, his plot is perfect if it sees no contradiction. So, as long as he doesn't think about it too much, what he's doing makes perfect sense, and what he's doing is is the right thing to do. But if he takes a moment to even reflect on the reason for war, the reason he's killing these people he doesn't know, it, it all starts to fall apart. So while he's telling the, the fa- story, yeah. it reflects upon Hunter's ego, basically saying like. Hey, listen, this this is exactly what's happening. This is it's gonna work perfectly. Don't you fucking worry. Oh, you have any critiques about this? Fuck you. That's not valid. I think Oh, we're gonna showing, die? Fuck you. 
I think more than showing Hunter's ego, because I, I think this is basically the the whole song is referencing the person who's in the tank. I think it's showing the the what I talked about earlier of like the training of soldiers, how they're question or they're they're taught to not question anything. They're they're you're they're taught, taught to think of the team, the hive mind, much like twitch.tv slash Steve underscore squared. Right. So so his plot is perfect if it sees no contradiction, meaning that as long as he does what he's told and doesn't think about it too much then he he doesn't have to feel bad about it. He he feels like he's doing the right thing. He feels like what he's doing is, is good and, and well-intentioned and just don't think about it too much. And then we have some really brutal lyrics here. The matter of moments to your body is debris. That's fucking... That's macabre. That's... And the delivery of it, too. And it, uh, you've stained your skin and, it, and I won't stick around long enough to count the hearts that hit the ground. So long ago was I one of the... Again, there's people dying, falling. Like, it's just... So much death and destruction. But notice how he's saying like hearts, you know, like the fact that he's specifically saying heart, showing that connection that he began kind of drawing yeah. and what it means to be alone. I, mean, the, I think he's starting to see everyone as people. He's starting to see his fellow soldiers as. Yeah. Human lives. Yes. Less like bodies and more like these, these hearts, these souls, these minds are ending abruptly before me. For what reason? Again, he's just he, this whole album. He's kind of contemplating the nature of war. Which is really interesting to me because I've spoken to quite a few people in the military and um, they don't really think like that because the military kind of really aims to erase that thought from your head. Um, it, they're taught that when you shoot someone, you're not supposed to feel like you're ending a life. You're just supposed to feel the recoil and like a target kind of taken out. So it shows that's really weighing on Hunter's mind that this is still kind of poking through all that kind of like... I don't want to say indoctrination, but it's really hooking past all of the kind of training that he's been through. Why? Well, I, I think I can speak more directly on that since I, I was in the military and I kind of dealt with the whole the basic training and the brainwashing element. Yeah, I I, I can't speak for like a, the the more direct armed forces like Marines and, and Army who do um, the crayon eaters. <laughs> uh, I think I'm allowed to say that having been in the Navy. I don't know if it, that's that's our thing. Anyway. Um, I, as far as how the Navy approached combat situations, they, they did a two tiered approach, which is one by questioning the actions of your superiors, you are actively doing a disservice to the thing that you can't understand. Like the, the information you get may not make sense to you, but trust us when we say it's come down from people who know what they're doing. And if you question it at all, you're not only putting the, the better interests of the greater good in, in danger, but you're also... If, if you challenge direct order, you're, you're hurting your, your fellow, you know, in my case, sailors, but, uh, you know, it, almost by questioning an order, you, you are doing a disservice to everyone and everything. But then also they, they had this approach where it was like, if you are not willing to kill somebody, what, what the fuck are you doing here? Like, I, I remember they gave us a, a big long lecture about like, um, if you're, if you're not willing to kill anyone, then you obviously, you don't, you're not paying attention or you, you obviously don't believe in what you're doing. And so they, they kind of. Uh, they kind of shamed us into being comfortable with the idea of, of yeah. killing, which so yeah. I, I think that just yeah. lends to like, uh, I would say brainwashing is, is exactly what it's intended to be. I don't think that's offensive at all. I think anyone in the military, even the higher ops would say, yeah, we're brainwashing you. We have to, you have to be a, a machine and a tool. You cannot be a person. We don't need people in the military. We need bodies. We need instruments. Yeah. God. Which also kind of, and I think that's that's what Hunter is realizing here. I don't think he is well enough conditioned. Which also kind of loans to the the mo the feel of the song. You know, everything is kind of working in tandem to each other. Nothing's really kind of going its to its own beat. Yeah. It's all kind of like going to create this kind of 
you kind of this whole synchronous sound. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Shout but, out to any soldiers, if you're listening. <laughs> thank you for your service. Wait, Hunter, were you? I thought you were army. You were navy. Navy. Yes. Oh, I am too oh, much. Okay. I am far too much of a coward to be army. My dad never would have let me do that. No, I'm. I'm a boat. I or was a boatman. I should say. Uh, okay. w- without d- d- diving too deep into that, uh, I really like the lines here about begging for bliss beyond the pain, uh, directed as a question. Relief is just to turn its turn away. Again, this is just very oh. dark imagery. Like, like they're they're almost begging for a reprieve from this horror, and the only thing that could come is their own death. Yeah, there's no escape from there's no escape from this horror show with without dying. It it reminds me like the the imagery I kind of get from this is. It's like the opening scene of uh, Saving Private Ryan. I think that this, it's... Yeah, I think you mentioned that to me when you were down here. Yeah, uh, may, maybe. I, I can't really remember. But the, uh, yeah, just the opening scene, you just see people in absolute agony in just the most horrifying situations and, yeah, begging for it to end. It's getting to that point. Yeah, this is this is a super fucking dark Yeah, album. it's... <laughs> yeah. That's why I like it so much. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it's I, brutal. I, I, I think that's that's what sets this album apart, is that all the other albums kind of dive into definitely real topics, you know, heartbreak, uh, you know, the sex trafficking, sex work, corruption, politics, religion. But this one is, is fucking, it's very, it's, it, it, it pulls no punches. Like, it, it'll tell you straight up how awful war is. It doesn't glamorize it or glorify it. It, it, it spells out the horrors in, in a very dramatic way. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's their black sheet, yeah. you know? It's yeah. like, this album is pretty much unlike anything else they've made. It's brutal. Like, I, I was actually, like, what I was really hoping for, this what I would like about the Violet EP so much is because it does kind of capture some of that feel of this album, but not even to the degree because it's so dark. Even looking at the artwork for this album, it's really, like, it, it's just matter of fact, you know? Mm. You have, like, the crimson kind of artwork with the gold and everything. It's just, like, this is an album. You look at it and you kind of kind of know what you're in for yeah i I agree it's to the point it doesn't sugarcoat anything for the sake of our own emotional well-being i think we should probably move on to the next song because this this is a very depressing song that we're on right now and it really is just a a continuous reiteration of of just destruction and pain and death and and awfulness one thing i just want to mention before we move on is the um the between the barrier to me cover of this song was really well done Yeah, amazing it was i really loved it I, I, I really loved it. <laughs> Be quiet, Hunter. No, it was it was all right. I, there there were some artistic choices that I I thought weren't interesting enough. Like I, to me, it was almost too close to a one to one representation for me to be that interested. No, to me, it sounded like it could have been straight off of their album Coma Ecliptic. It, I just thought it was really interesting in the way they did it, which makes sense because Coma Ecliptic was the album that was out when they uh, did this. I but, trust your interpretation better than mine because I'm not a huge Between the Bear and Me fan. I, I like them well enough, but I, I don't know enough about them. I mean, you should probably get listening for future episodes, but anyway, we'll work on it. We're getting there. The, uh, the, the song, yeah, it's just overall, uh, really probably one of the most memorable songs in our discography for me too, just based on like the instrumentation and how it kind of flows. It's like always one of my go-to songs from this album. Yeah. Uh, but moving on to the poison woman, which, uh, cue music. All right. So, um, <laughs> transition. 
pull a, a little Fantano. Get your Anthony, no, no, get your Anthony Fantano out of here. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> he he wrote off Deer Hunter as overproduced indie garbage. I'm not going to fucking say not for garbage. That. It was. Uh, I think I remember specifically. He said it's more overproduced alt prog, which I mean is is equally as insulting. But let's get it let's anyway. Get it right here. So uh, the Poison Woman, before we get into the meaning, because I know Hunter has quite a few things yeah, to say about this, as he kind of foretold in his Act 2 episode. Um, this is a so- this is one of the songs that kind of gave me that Panic at the Disco influence. Because their first record, if you go to songs like um, Lying is the Most Fun You Can Have Without Taking Your Clothes Off, or The Only Difference Between a Martyrdom, uh, or like Build God Then We'll Talk, which I think is more similar to He Said It's Story, but that kind of like really vaudeville lounge kind of sound exists right here because it's just kind of that more old timery kind of song in fact i think i sent this song to my friend because he's really into that world war one style music and he uh he really loved it for that kind of same reason that i did it really had that kind of really interesting feel that really doesn't exist in a whole lot of other places like i remember seeing uh casey played the song live and he said that he doesn't get to play it much because it's not a song that melds well with the crowd but it's one of his favorite songs that he's made so um but going but going right into that it's just like this is also one of the um one of the first big introductions of characters that kind of get their own kind of song like him mm-hmm. and the priest kind of gets it you get miss terry and misleading to an extent but this is kind of moving forward as one of the transitional characters this character marking the turning point of kind of hunter's shift in cognition so anyway uh i guess uh I, I I would break down the song, but I know Hunter really wants to get into this. Sure, so. and and I, I want to start it out with with acknowledging what it obviously is, which is a great song uh, on a great album, and it has amazing song. It has some amount of value. I mean, obviously, what's happening in the story is that there's this woman who is going around the battlefield, and she's doing assisted suicide with with the hurt soldiers. So if they're if they're in pain and they're dying, uh, I, I don't know if they're agreeing suicide? to it necessarily. Uh, it might just be straight up murder, but basically she she takes pleasure in it. She's going around, she's poisoning them, she's watching them die. She's taking, uh, but it, it seems as though she's doing it to to grant them relief from their pain. So it's it's hard to say whether or not she's, uh, you know, doing it. F- I don't know if that's what I got from this. I mean, that first like, verse makes it pretty clear. You know, an heir to aided ends. Basically, she's ending their aid or aiding their end. Uh, she loves the sound <laughs> they make as they expel a breath, a soul from their chest. So she's watching them die, like very actively watching them and she enjoys it. And then she laughs yeah. a little, but never makes a sound. Like she's obviously right after this big battle just happened, she's going around and she's aiding the end of these people. She's taking the, the wounded soldiers and poisoning them or doing something with them to make them die. And then, and then it says she swears she's mm. offering you something savory. What lies she tells? She's probably telling them, "Hey, drink this; it'll make you feel better." And well, it's if, if you're looking, them. well, if you're looking at this, I don't know if she's really, because from what I gathered is that she has like an apothecary shop which exists kind of deeper into the woods, and um, this could just be like, for example, like what happened to Hunter. Uh, they stumble into the woods trying to flee battle, and then she sees this, and then that's when she commits her acts. I mean, just coming off of the tank where this giant horrific battle happened, where obviously it's it's telling the story of all these people getting wounded and hurt and stuff like that. And then we go, go into the poison woman who, from the first verse, it's obvious that she's she's helping she's assisting people in dying in some way and she's offering them relief. To but me, this is like, narr- but this is where Hunter runs away from the tank into the woods. I mean, it's possible she's doing this maybe not in the same uh, the same place Hunter was. Perhaps there was a, a, a coinciding battle going on. But it just narratively speaking, it makes more sense just as she's going around 
telling these soldiers like, hey, drink this, it'll make you feel better, and then watching them die, whether it's for uh, truly malicious purposes or if she's just in some twisted Thanos way helping them in a way that's, uh, you know, kind of glorifies what she's trying to do. Uh, but trying to talk about the Poison Woman in a, in a sensible narrative way is difficult because it doesn't really make much sense. I mean, it's it's the only it's one of the only elements of the story that that is just a huge MacGuffin. I I, call, I jokingly call this the MacGuffin Woman, in that a MacGuffin for people who don't know is an element to a story that only exists to make the story move along or to add something to the story that assists another element. It's it's basically. It's just saying, uh, I call it the yada yada. So this happens, and then yada yada, this happens. Well, the, well, this 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 kind of hap- this exists as a source for Hunter to grab something for a big uh, pivotal point in the story. I don't think this was like because like I, I guess mm-hmm. Hunter, which we can get into a bit further later, he could have committed the acts without poison, but like right. But he, the only reason she's even in the story really is is to give Hunter the poison he uses to kill his father. That's that's really her only instrumental purpose. I was, I was going to save on what he was going. I was going to save on that till later on. But anyway, the um, going and but you want to go into the course offerings and something savory. Take a drink of products number one mm-hmm. right down the hatch, and now it seems a smooth intoxication. Well, just one drop is more than enough. Yeah, and I think that's again just highlighting that she swears she's offered you something savory. What lies she tells? So to me, she's she's telling these people, whether they're people on the battlefield that she's helping to die, or if they're just people she comes across where she's deceiving them. I, she's obviously mm-hmm. watching, har- harboring, or ushering people to their death and enjoying it and deceiving them to get there. So it spells yeah. out what she is, maybe not the manner in which she's doing it, but she's basically just, she's giving them poison, telling them it's something that will relieve their pain or in some way cause them something pleasant, which obviously it doesn't. Yeah, that, that's, that's, a, that's a point. Um, <laughs> that's a point. Well, thanks. Uh, verse two, she never dwells on penitence, advancing in a haze. A million men have reached an end, a side effect of incompetence. She laughs a little, but never smiles. Going right, right back into like kind of... Mm. Yeah, she's yeah, she's kind of I guess under that guise. She's not. I don't think she's plague doctor territory yet, though. She's just kind of the way I envision her is kind of like Poison Ivy from the Batman uh, universe. Yeah, and I think that's a pretty good comparison because in in a lot of ways, Poison Ivy masquerades as someone who's offering you something good, like the Poison Ivy's power. Even if it's not the superpower that she has, it's it's seduction. It's it's manipulation. And I think that's what the poison woman is doing. It's it's basically convincing people that she's doing something good for them, so that she can cause them some amount of harm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But again, uh, I I just I, I I think if you remove the poison woman from the story, the only thing that would need to change is the manner of the father's death, which I don't see as terribly important to the narrative. It doesn't. Again, he could have shot him. He could have left him for dead. He could have stabbed him. He could. There are many ways to kill somebody, especially in a wartime environment. Why did this particular it, it almost it's almost a removal from any reality the situation had because when you're at war hmm. a lady with poison doesn't just come up to you and give it to you it doesn't it's just it's a suspension of disbelief that just kind of takes me out of it just just it's just a weird song and narratively speaking it's a weird song and musically it's fantastic and and the lyrics are you know they're but they're, when you're saying the song doesn't make any sense that's kind of what i really didn't i don't know well let's keep moving forward and we'll see um going back to the core she swears she's offering something savory take a drink of products number one and now smooth intoxication well just one drops more than enough the bridge is what i think is the most interesting lyrically in the song uh she has her superstitions they've got the rationale on call they never saw it coming they never stood a chance that being uh, repeated throughout this 
Uh, she's got a new tradition involving ethylene glycol. Ethylene glycol is a um, isn't that it's a, using like it's using like anti antifreeze. Yeah, I was about to say antifreeze. It's like it doesn't have like it doesn't have like a, a smell from what I remember, but it like it has like a sweet taste, kind of like how cyanide doesn't really have like a a, a smell, but it tastes kind of like bitter almonds. From what I've been told, I never had cyanide. So uh, she has no appre- she has no apprehension. Yet. Habit sustains her wickedness, kind of showing that she's more kind of used to this. This is kind of like, you know, all the shit that she's doing doesn't seem kind of grand to her because she just sees it happening all the time, kind of similar to a soldier in battle. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think I think it's kind of uh, similar to what you're saying. I think it's showing that she is so evil and malicious that this is second nature to her anymore. She doesn't even see it as as cruelty. She sees it as as uh, entertainment or, or a yeah. service that needs to be provided. Or I think it's purely for entertainment that she does this. Yeah, maybe. I think the bridge is where it ends with her kind of introduction as a character because the outro is when Hunter kind of encounters her. Uh, with the weight of the world on her shoulders, she doesn't want none. She don't want none of her sins as they unfurl in her palms. In her palms, with the weight of the world on her shoulders, she don't want none of her sins. But then it leads into take this bottle, take this bottle, take this bottle. Kind of saying, here's the vial. Take it, Hunter. Take it, because this is like when, like I said, Hunter flees from the tank, kind of infiltrating the battlefield, and he runs into the woods. He sees her. He sees all the shit, and then he just grab. He grabs a vial, and he's like, I, I don't know why you want me to keep this, but I'll just put it in my pocket, I guess. But this, I guess, could lead to the interpretation, which I'm just thinking of right now, how maybe she could be involved with the oracles in some way, if the oracles are, in fact, a more physical being. Mm. I, I mean, I guess, but then then we kind of transition back to the to the oracles or, or characters similar to that, having active involvement in the story instead of just kind of passive narration. Which yeah, she- but then, like, but when she says, take this bottle, like, that kind of, why else would she be giving him the bottle? Like, That's it's saying that with... With the weight of, those, of her shoulders, she don't want none of the sins. Kind of, it, it kind of the outro implies that she kind of knows something is going on that's being un, not told to the listener yet, until you kind of discover it later on. And when she's giving him the bottle, it it just kind of like sounds like she's forcing it upon him, saying like, "You're going to need this. Trust me. I'm a doctor. All right." Well, I mean, she could just be trying to deceive him in the way she. Uh as the song outline is apparently deceiving other people and saying, Hey, drink this sweet drink. It'll help you in some way when it's really just going to kill you. No, I, I disagree because otherwise how, how would he know that what he was giving his father was poison? That's a good point. Yeah. So I think the 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 woman said, I, I think the woman sees something in the boy in that she doesn't decide to get up to her usual antics and try to kill the boy. Instead, she, uh, straight up says I poison I poison people and here's a bottle of poison if you need it it's why I have a problem with it narratively because she only pops up in this one part of the story for a very very brief period of time to provide Hunter with something to make something else happen in the story but for some reason she perceives him as as exceptional or different like she doesn't try to kill him like she does everyone else in fact she offers to help him in some way and it seems like a uh, by what Rue was just saying, kind of almost a genuinely wanting to, hey, you might need this later, take this. Why, why, it's just, it's logically inconsistent from her motivations that have been previously established to her suddenly. Unless she's an oracle. Sure, but why, why, why is she murdering everyone, but suddenly, because like I said, Hunter is an unremarkable character. I, I, I think for the most parts, there's nothing fantastical or, or, no, he just has the naivety, and that's kind of what misleading saw in him, as Rue so eloquently put it as its target. But uh, <laughs> the uh, 
she she i think this might she doesn't even really need to be an oracle but maybe just some sort of like of uh, supernatural kind of element existing maybe because the thing with the thing is like with the pot they keep in mind apothecaries at this time they were viewed as like magical beings i mean like they were viewed as like someone that was just well above the average person based on their healing abilities you know just sticking leeches on people it's just it's just weird that that Casey is so good at telling a story and and he's he does it so meticulously uh, in in almost <laughs> in almost every respect and then this one time is just kind of a uh, here uh, and she never comes back it's never it's never explained what her motivations really are it's never explained why she does the things she does and it's never explained why it has to happen this way it's just it's one of the only elements of the story well that's kind of how Mister Usher is yeah but. Like Mr. Usher, Mr. Usher being behind the scenes, like I don't yeah. know. I guess it's something we would need actual clarification to really dissect. Well, Mr. Further. Usher was added retrospect or retroactively. Like I, I remember, it when, was so he he had to add that to uh, Mr. Usher is in itself a MacGuffin because they were he needed that, to be added because the story didn't make sense. Right, and so that that's basically what a MacGuffin is. It's just it's something yeah. that it's its only purpose is to make the story go along, and that's exactly what the Poison Woman is. And I don't understand what the reason is, especially since all of this is is so crafted. Uh, it's I don't know. It's it stands out like a sore thumb to me. It's a great song on a great album. I'm not dissing on Casey. I'm just I'm totally confused by why this is in the story and why it needs to be. You could take it out and barely anything would change. Yeah. But I guess, I, I don't know. I don't know if I really agree with that, but I guess that's where we agree to disagree. But um, yeah, that'll be my hot overall, take for the episode. But but just, just finishing just finishing it off, I, I think it still makes a bit more, way more sense than uh, Black Sandy Beaches. Yeah, and, until we see the actual representation of Black Sandy Beaches in the comics. Uh, this, yeah. This makes barely more sense. But again, it's just, it's kind of just, it's it's lazy story writing in the, in the most polite way. It's just, it's not, it's not a very good story element. But that being said, amazing song. Um, but going into the thief, key music. Going into the thief, um, this song it also kind of like adds to the intrigue of the album for me because you had the Poison Woman, where Hunter's kind of seeing like, "Holy shit, you're like an awful person," and then you're going to the thief, where he's just seeing more kind of hard realities of this world because he goes from the woods he comes back out to the battlefield and he sees all of his all the dead soldiers on the ground and then just dude fucking pickpocketing them and then he's just like what the fuck are you doing and he's like oh that's what do you, what do you mean what am i doing you're, you're pickpocketing my friends uh well does it matter they're kind of dead they don't really own it anyway it's not it's which not. is a fair point yeah <laughs> it, 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 yeah and that that shows it but that's also kind of starts into his warring conscience he's just like you know what maybe you're right he's like because these people there isn't really it kind of shows his more acceptance of death and more of his acceptance of like hey listen maybe these things dying for the greater good or whatever it's kind of it leads into that kind of bigger moment i guess that that kind of a bit of an epiphany yeah and it's, it's kind of hunter again re- readjusting his moral compass because he he entered into a situation where people are literally m- murdering each other i mean we can interpret war how we'd like but it's in a sense uh, doesn't it's it's sanctioned murder that's that's what war is so you, you have these situations where people are being murdered around you uh, with impunity and then you see a guy stealing and for some reason that's he sees a moral problem with that like oh you're stealing the guy's like yeah i mean 
they're not going to need it. Yeah. And then he, again, he has to adjust his moral ideas here. You're stealing? Yeah. What, what are you, a cop? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you fucking narc. <laughs> Who's asking you, a cop or something? <laughs> you have to tell me if you're a cop legally. <laughs> it's the law. <laughs> no, it's just on the grand on the grand scale of what's going on. Who gives a shit if some guy's pickpocketing the dead? Yeah. I mean, it's it's really it's the point. least terrible thing that's happening in the story. So, I mean, Hunter sees this guy, uh, or at least when he first encounters him, he's like, hey, what, what the fuck are you doing? And the guy basically says, less than you are. You know, I'm not killing anyone. I'm not facilitating the death and murder of other people. I'm just, you know, I'm poor or I'm selfish or whatever I am. I'm just stealing some shit. Leave me alone. Mm. <laughs> yeah, fuck off. Don't you have a war to be fighting or some shit? What are you doing <laughs> basically, in Basically, yeah. It's like the Spider-Man meme, the, the, the pointing. Like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, what the fuck are you doing? You're the one in war. I don't know, man. This is a, this song I, I find really interesting because it's just so matter of fact. It's kind of like, this is what's happening, you know? This is the shit that's kind of going down. And this is the kind of world that we're living in. This is the world we're living in. And we got... We truly do live in a society. Fucking thieves and cheats and poisonous people. So, but going well, on... It, it, well, hang, if you go to the, the What It Means to Be Alone music video, it does give a little bit more insight into the thief. And it seems as though the thief not only is a thief, but he deceives Hunter. He, he offers Hunter a way back to the camp. He's, he tells him, oh yeah, this is where your camp is, right over here. And then he basically, he steals Hunter's bag and uh, runs away with it. So Hunter, again, trusted somebody and was, was burned. So this probably just solidified his opinion that, oh, I can't trust people. Yeah. Yeah, but even looking at this though, because I'm like looking, because that seems like something added afterwards. Um, but as I'm like looking into the lyrics, it's more like, it's more kind of like Hunter kind of being, I guess, uh, a bit tantalized in, in this moment where he's kind of like, he's being struck with this reality a bit, but nothing really here leads to the fact that maybe he's saying um, nothing more. It's not really seeing anything where it can be brought back. Like the outro, maybe like love seems bare of meaning when cash is king wealth here for the bleeding. What good will bring nothing more than I could ask from those who sleep a crooked mind an honest heart and at, Ancil- ancillary I don't know what that um, word yeah, means yeah I, I uh, always heard it. heart of celery funny that actually I actually used the word ancillary earlier I forgot that it was a lyric here it, it basically means um, de- providing detach- necessary support for the primary activities or yeah. operations of an organization so I guess so, yeah I guess that's where you yeah. can say that so he's being brought it back it to detached camp. from the direct involvement and, and or something it's, it's nothing to do with food <laughs> they collide nothing to I, do I'm sure you can connect them somehow with celery yeah that will be my hot take today but yeah, I guess with that, we're, we kind of tied up everything we can do with the thief. Unless you guys have anything else you want to add, like Rue with any musical stuff you want to touch upon or whatever. Uh, other than the fact that the, the meter of the song is really cool. It's in five. So it's... What, five, four? Yeah. It, it, it kind of uses that. Uh, it's a very... I, I don't mean cliche in a bad way, but a very uh, cliche kind of... Uh, clave rhythm it's like the mission impossible type of that kind of um that that kind of rhythm and it it worked really well it's just a little thing in the songwriting it's in five which is pretty cool maybe the number five relates somehow probably not it's a it's a stretch when i spoke to when i spoke to max about 1878 and he says no we're just like writing a seven eight you see, there's no correlation. I was 18 when I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I almost feel like perhaps um, the, the interpretation that there's just so many songs here that are just the the reiteration over and over again of just war bad 
ethics weird is I, I just I don't feel like that's that's deep enough for the type of story Casey wants to tell. I feel like I'm missing something here. But to me, that's that's what it seems like. It seems like he's he's contemplating the nature of of morality and ethics as it relates to somebody who, you know, in in most contexts, a thief is seen as someone who's bad. But in in the context of war and violence, it's it's not quite that bad. And of course, there's that layer of just deception, like Hunter trusted somebody was deceived. Um, but there's got to be more to it than that. Or maybe it is just one of those little just reinforcement songs. Mm. What, is the I, um, what does the got time thing signify? I mean, it, it's such a focal point of the song. It's, it's referring to seasoning. Hunter's making that, some dope-ass pizza. That right. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Got time. I, well, it looks like the interpretation is really heavily downvoted, but I'm also saying... He also thinks cheating innocence by stealing, which is not innocent, but he's not affecting anyone since the victims are dead, which could keep him innocent in his mind. Um, I don't know. The, the, this this whole got time thing is just kind of like, I guess things from the thief's perspective. The thief kind of saying like, oh man, listen, I'm not doing this shit. I'm not participating in this shit. They're all dead. I got time to do what I'm doing. But I don't know what the tonight means. I got like a cheating innocence. I got the time tonight. And then I, I think it's just musical. Welcome to the Deer Operation Podcast, where we tell you all the things we don't know. Uh, no, that's what the thing. That's what's good about having people pitch in. Is like maybe because yeah. the because verse two is just cheating innocence. I've got the time tonight. I think it's just honestly more of a musical thing. Yeah, got time. He's basically saying how talented he is to be able to to be able to play in five. He's he's got he's got good time. Yeah, maybe, he's, maybe he means I've got I've got that time. Yeah, I've got it down. Yeah, but I guess next up is uh. But we've got to move on to the 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 real, uh, you know, the shining prince of this album. I mean, everyone, everyone, I think most people would agree, Mustard Gas is is one of the the most resounding tracks from the album. In that it's they play it live more often. It's it's kind of more well known, or at least it seems to be. Yeah. So Must- with uh, Mustard Gas, who's going to say? It? Okay. Well, let's let's add in Mustard Gas here. here they are. I got to do it this time. I got to usher in some music. So what's, yeah. what's cool about this is in the outro of, the, of uh, was it The Thief that we just said? Yeah. In the outro of The Thief into Mustard yeah. Gas, uh, we hear another reprise of the Bittersweet 2. You hear the... Uh... Oh, I can't even play it anymore. Huh? <laughs> and you hear that before the... Uh... You hear the? I think it's the horns playing that. Well, it is. It is slightly augmented in in this because uh, in in the bittersweet, it's kind of a chromatic up and down. Whereas this one is is a little bit. And, you know, it starts high and kind of moves lower. I, I'm using very technical musical terms here. <laughs> yeah. But uh, at that, when the when the theme of mustard gas first begins, it's it's very very similar to that. But it doesn't start from the bottom, go up, and then back down. It goes dun 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 dun. dun. So it goes the opposite way. Instead of from down to up, it goes up to down, then up. So uh, maybe this is another intentional inverse. Yeah. But know, I guess that there's. Thing, right? So how how does this relate to the bittersweet? Because it's it's definitely an intentional thing well we know that this when this theme comes up again in act four uh it's basically representing hunter losing consciousness um you know at at the end of a night in the town when he is so drunk that he just passes out the mustard gas theme comes back up and it represents him losing consciousness falling asleep fainting what 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 have you so i I don't know how we can necessarily 
correlate that to the bittersweets, even though obviously the themes are connected in some way. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm. I guess going into the lyrics more so. Yeah. Um, sure. Uh, this song. I, the one thing I've got to say with the song, even musically, um, when I did the cover, uh, I got a way deeper appreciation for this song. So like, because well, going into this, you're when I went to the cover, I had to go for every single thing, like musically speaking, and I had to really break it down and redefine it in the way I did so in the cover. And like, so going from part to part with the um beginning the the beginning up until the chorus is what i had like imagined for the cover so the here they are dun 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 and that's like uh kind of showing the incoming of the mustard gas being like thrown in and the incoming of like the uh any coming of the soldiers it's like the enemy squadrons just like coming in and basically causing all this fucking shit hunter couldn't even imagine like as it says deliverance unthinkable they play their part performing oh so well like mm-hmm. he mustard gas was banned after world war one because of the fucking devastation it caused it's like yeah it, it's a terrible thing like the way like the when people got hit by it, i'm pretty sure if the mustard gas was what caused people to like cough up pieces of their lungs mm-hmm. from it it's just insanely awful and this is something really showing the horrors of war and really questioning the motives of hunter as he goes on with uh with empty cores to carry on a twisted soul and apparition born of a beastly brand they butcher purposely just had the sense to run away they're just fleeing they're just like what the fuck they're gone uh they want to get away from this because it's not something they can fight against you can't fight against smoke they don't have gas masks or anything and then come hunter coming back to the realization of this horror scream at the sky and beg beg for a reason he would allow this look to the sky and say we would be better off without this who would allow this what kind of god or person looking over us would allow something as horrible as this to happen or or to even allow it to exist to allow something as devastating as mustard gas it's like what what is is that I think this especially is him questioning the idea of, of why would a just God allow such horrific things to exist in the world? What, what, why? Or, or the politicians who, who set the stage for it. I mean, maybe he's, maybe he's even... Who say what they need to say. Yeah. The, yeah, may, may, maybe he's even just questioning, like, why would they let us go do this? Like, why, what, what, is, what is such a good cause that they would let us come here and suffer so horrifically? I mean, maybe it's not quite so existential. Maybe it's just very, you know, because he even criticized the, the politicians pulling the strings earlier in the album. So perhaps it's just another, again, uh, another reinforcement of not only the horrors of war, but the, the uselessness. He says scream at the sky. So I'm more inclined to think he, he's, he's yelling out to... Uh, Whatever. I don't need you interpreting the lyrics. God. No, that makes more sense. It, yeah. it might be a double. Yeah, it could uh, a, a be. Double it could meeting. be. That way, oh, I don't have to be wrong. Double entendre. <laughs> <laughs> Although speaking speaking of the whole twisted soul and apparition, is that in reference to like the wisps of smoke from? Because you know, a twisted soul in apparition. Um, to me, like the wisps from this gas would almost look like, yeah, uh, you know, well, yeah, spirits. Well, you're tying like, it into the next line, born of a beastly brand, they butcher purposely. Like that's exactly what it's referring to. Like it's something just demonic and not like not possible to even exist from how like, evil it is. Yeah. Like they're using it to butcher purposely as in butchering the soldiers with the smoke. 
And that's what it says. Just have the sense to run away. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, and then we, we've already done the chorus here. Um, the verse two, uh, we've never felt so alive, but none of us can die just when we want to. We're stuck in this disguise with leather skin. These eyes designed to haunt you, but do we haunt you? He's going to take Guess that one. Not. And then the whole, we've never felt alive. Um, I, I, I don't know if that's kind of speaking to like the, the, the inhuman appearance, uh, of, of the gas masks. How they, I hearken back to the doctor who episode with the gas masks and how they, oh, they kind of freeze to the person's body and face. And, and turn them in turn them into kind of uh soulless creatures i mean they they, they kind of turn yeah into there's no emotion creatures instead of people yeah so i i think of that that episode when i think of this line so basically when you put on the gas masks everyone becomes just even even more of just uh toy soldiers i guess just something something extra human something beyond yeah. the the humanity that that hunter has been feeling up to this point man this is a, another this this thing with the song is like when when listening to it just musically speaking it like you feel like the mustard gas is coming in and you feel it kind of like the horrors that they're seeing and that kind of stuff where like that's why I kind of went for that alternate perspective of like the kind of the dreading kind of like the the existing horrors the kind of like that blank the battlefield the kind of realistic things of like what they're feeling so like that's why what makes the song so much fun with for like anyone who like played it is they get to take it and take that feeling and apply it to how they want, which is why I think like if someone did a one-to-one cover, yeah, they can do that. And they could also do like the acoustic covers. I see they're also caps capturing the feeling in other ways. Like we had one for the cover contest that was quite good at doing that. And I think, um, because during that, that line, we just read the, we've never felt the live, the verse two, uh, it, it, it changes stylistically. And I, I oh, think yeah. what this is representing story-wise is that these canisters start dropping and they, it's very chaotic and they run away. And then I think verse two happens when they get in the trenches and they're, they're, they're removed from the immediate danger, but they're kind of reflecting on it. It feels kind of loop. If not like, if it feels kind of like they're, you know, hopped up on something. It's like, we've never felt alive. Like they're like, it's they're probably, adre- probably adrenaline. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a hell of a drug. They say, Oh yeah, so I, I think I think that's them uh, finding themselves in the trenches, uh, f- temporarily uh, protected. But then, of course, it breaks back into the scream of the sky. So I feel like they they just adjust their aim and, and you know get get back at them. They they get the canisters to where they are, get back into their head. Yeah, and then on the other side again, just sounds sounds like no man's land. It sounds like they've traversed the other side of the trench. And that no, I wouldn't a, say that. I'd say I'd say the outro is more like kind of them rationalizing, saying like, "Oh Jesus, well listen, they're on the other side. We we gotta kind of we 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 can't let this happen. We gotta keep pushing forward. We can't sit and focus on like what's going on right now. They're the enemies. We need to kill them. We gotta do our jobs." Well, I, I don't necessarily disagree with the interpretation, but as as I'm looking at it narratively, and this could just be a headcanon of mine. It may not be grounded in the reality of the lyrics, but if if I'm interpreting verse two as them. Uh, escaping into the trenches, which were huge in World War One, and then everything in between trenches was no man's land. I imagine this is them further retreating to the other side of the trench. I mean, yeah, it seems a little on the nose, but mm. sometimes a lot of the narrative elements here are on the nose. But it, it could also be, again, it could be a dual meaning, or it could be, I'm just completely wrong. But uh, interpretation, that's the fun part about this. Yeah, us being wrong. Uh, going back to Rue with the... Um with the reprises uh there's one that's used later on in uh most cursed of hands you want to give us that flourish is that <laughs> which 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 one are you, are you it's um it's the uh 
what was it? I'm trying to remember where it was in the song. It was in the chorus. Oh yes. So that yeah, that's yeah. the uh yeah, so that's the motif from he said he had a story. The uh But it's like a, a slightly augmented version with the uh And it's also brought back into most cursive hands. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So that's mm-hmm. that has some significance. What do you guys think it means? Oh oh. I I've never made that connection before. So anything I say would just be pulling it out of my ass. So, so I do it. Same here. I have no yeah. idea. So I want to start reaching. Going to roll up my cuffs. Um, I, I, as, I, if, as if everything we say isn't pulled out of our ass. But this one is a little. I would I would need to sit on that a little bit more. My meaning of uh, what was it? Blood on the blood of the rose is pulled out of my ass completely too. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Operation Podcast, where we pull things out of our asses. Yes, and it's chunky. Um, <laughs> go, but going to the uh, but going to that reprise, I'm trying to figure out what it what it kind of means. Maybe maybe it's just kind of like, I it's hard for me to say. Just be, I think it just might be an important theme because like, it's going. Yes, it's going through Hunter's head that, that all these horrors are happening. Maybe it's kind of him looking at his father like when they're in when they're in the kind of trenches and he's just kind of like looking at the horrors and like the horrible man he's kind of with and kind of maybe foreshadowing what's going to happen he said he had a story yeah maybe okay i, I i'm gonna pulse me on my ass because of Go course on. i am so we're talking about verse two and how it corresponds with with he said he had a story right we're, we're or, talking about which, the melody from the chorus well, what I'm thinking is perhaps being a collective voice of all the soldiers. Um, perhaps that's that's the connection is that they're all saying this or all participating in this experience together. And it's kind of a representation of, of their shared experience. And then he said he has stories, all of them sitting around listening to this story. Uh, so perhaps it's just a, uh, a musical element that represents all the soldiers in, in some way <laughs> doing the same thing. I don't know. That's as close as I can get to a connection. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. because in, in any said he had a story, they do collectively talk to to the father, even if the whole song isn't from their perspective or even most of it. But um, that, the only connection I can see between the two is that in both those cases, it has a collection of soldiers all uh, sharing an experience. Yeah, and I don't see like really objective stuff like uh, regarding that melody. So I guess we're just gonna you have to take our word for it as fact. Because that is do- now canon, by the way. <laughs> we're, Everyone, we're on the podcast and you're not. Therefore, what we're saying is absolutely everyone true. Everyone go update the genius. <laughs> we have authority. No, we're a, bu- we're a bunch of fucking clowns. Uh, but it's fine. I, I, this, this, whole, this whole thing is just to, to have fun, to talk to your friends about the story. And uh, if, if other people have interpretations, we, we're not uh, full of shit. We actually want to hear them. Drop us lines and messages in comments um, through Carrier Pigeon, whatever. We... Like I said, we like the story, so we want to hear what you think. Was there yeah. a clown nose? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> That's the only fucking soundboard I have on my phone is a fucking it's clown a, horn. I, I mentioned clowns so long ago though. It's took so it's took forever for the clown nose to come. I had to pull up I had Such to pull it up on my phone, I'm sorry. You should be um, through the mag- through the magic of editing, you'll make that work. Be ashamed. <laughs> Post-production Steve here, and through the magic of editing, I, I left it as is. Uh, we, we, we should probably get back to the show. Um, um, 
All right, going on to the next track. Yuru, you want to do this one? Saved. Indeed. <laughs> Let's do it. So, uh, cue, cue music. music. Yes, yes, sorry. <laughs> cue music. That's what I thought he was doing when he just said saved. Saved. <laughs> so, yeah. So, before we get into this, I will say, on night one of the tour, this was incredible. That, yes. That's just... The cover is also really good, too. The one that rolled... That one, the D20. Yeah. Wait, saved? The saved was on the night one? Pretty sure yeah. it was, yeah. I don't think... I don't think... I don't think we had that. I think that might have been... It's because they did... That. I'm going to look at your set list right now. Yeah. I think it's because they didn't enjoy playing there i'm sorry hunter i just don't think they enjoy yeah i mean that's why we got the guys from uh rare futures to play mm. that might have been when i had to take that very uh immediate bathroom break there was there was a certain time during the show where i was going to piss all over the floor if i didn't get to a bathroom right then and there so i awkwardly shuffled past just uh, a whole row of chairs and tripped and almost fell and uh, this may have been playing as the soundtrack to my pee who knows let's see uh yeah you guys definitely had saved after things that hide away Okay, um, yeah, then I was probably in the bathroom. So this, uh, don't listen to me. Well, anyway, the... Um, Saved, yeah, so, yeah, so... Go into it. You want to start musically or you want to start lyrically? <laughs> uh, oh, well, well, okay. Fuck it, let's start, let's uh, start musically. All right, so musically. this song, um, I remember... This is one of the first songs that I listened to when I got a new pair of headphones. I got my, um, which Rue's using, I think, uh, the Sennheiser HD 600s. Yeah, um, I'm using my Shores at the moment. But yeah, but like you, go on. those headphones are incredible. And I was listening to Saved and trying to, then trying to kind of feel what Casey was going for because this used to be one of the weaker songs of the album for me. And um, hearing it in that right kind of moment with my eyes closed and the headphones, you kind of feel the atmosphere Casey's building. Um, it just starts off with a simple acoustic guitar, kind of wrapping you well, it, into. It is. It is the piano. piano as well. Was right. Yeah. I'm sorry. That, that thing that's it's really nice it's, it's very uh how, how would i describe it it's it's, it's very because it's basically just pl- kind of playing the c6 so it's i don't know it's, it's, it's just the cool sounds the, the the words has has just yeah it's wrapping you up it reminds me of i can't remember what the song is from act one that has that kind of similar um in introductory vibe to it. Oh, um, uh, the inquiry of Miss Terry. Is it that one? So could you give me? So could like you give the, me a musical uh, line? Just so like, the beginning is like. Uh, mm, I don't think that was uh, it. Uh, hmm. It's uh, 1878. And I, I'm pretty oh, sure I'm right yeah. about this. Um, if you listen to the intro of 1878 and the opening lyrics, which is we got away, we got away and survived, uh, and the way the music plays with that, uh, it thematically follows uh, Saved, which is that they they got away from this horrific thing and, and made it out in the clear. And, and the, the little interlude at the beginning sounds almost identical. Hmm. So I, I don't think it's a direct reprisal, but it's definitely a thematic parallel. And I think the music 
demonstrates that. I, you can drop clips. Yeah, that's interesting. Or, I'll have to listen to that. Or you can just I take already, my word for it. I already wrote down my notes. <laughs> cool. Okay. Well, then enjoy the clips. Thank you, Anza. Uh, they already enjoyed it. Um, so going into lyrically, um, this song is uh, kind of them being withdrawn from the uh, battlefields. Uh, the, the, it says on here, the boy lays on the battlefield nearly mortally wounded by the mustard gas. He begins to come to terms with his death, though resisting it at some time. At the same time, uh, then he is saved by the sun and lo- his illuminated beacon of hope. Well, basically, we is it already established, like, uh, like in a direct way that no, the, it's that his brother is the one who saved him. No, it shows that it's, it shows that it's set is referred to as the son just in the in this. It doesn't really define who it is until he said he had a story, and uh, then mm-hmm. father and son. But we 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 can pretty much agree that it is his his half brother who saves him here, and that's, yes. that's the the bond they form that kind of creates the tragic demise for this character. Spoiler alert. Yeah. It's you know you need to have your uh, you need to have your character development, but so you can feel sad when they die. Um, let's see. Amongst the stone and smoke, we've never laid before. Images floating all about life in the afterglow. I'm just going to read the next part too because they tie together. Uh, my decaying mind pretends none of this ever happened. We either learn to live a lie or are waiting here to die. That's his hallucinations taking place. Kind of the he's looking up. This he sees the spinning doves. There's, everything's kind of like crazy from just him having even that little bit of exposure to the mustard gas um and then for yeah the or, course, or even uh to add on to it maybe a, a level of dissociation maybe he's uh, now that he's escaped this horrific thing he's kind of dissociating for a second and, and trying to uh, remove himself from the the trauma he's experiencing so well, it's it actually confirmed that, that, oh, that, no, that yeah it's confirmed in the course because he in the course he says and after all this suffering i could lie here with good but with a mind on fire i try and stand my ground illuminate and i will follow uh, that basically saying that he can just let himself die. He can just he's lying on the ground. He can let it but, end. He doesn't have to worry about the suffering. He could just end it for good. And with the mind on fire, with those thoughts. At the same time, though, it, he he wants to fight. He wants to stand his ground. He wants to cling to life. So it's well. He says, "I try." It's it's not really showing how he's making a really strong effort, but he's at least putting some in there. Well, that's why I think it could be a marriage of of both physical and and emotional exhaustion. In that, uh, perhaps he's he's kind of physically hurt, or maybe he's dizzy from the mustard gas, or or maybe he's just so so exhausted that he can't necessarily think straight or, or move appropriately. But uh, I, I think some of this trying to stand his ground and uh, what I'm inferring is losing his balance or or being too physically weak to do it. Uh, I think that's happening at the same time as he's trying to separate himself from this traumatic experience yeah because i mean once once the adrenaline wears off your body really feels everything so so to me this is the adrenaline wearing off well well even after that when it says illuminate and i will follow illuminating being the beacon of hope aka the sun his brother um because then it goes into it goes into creating a feeling of hope amongst the stone and smoke rising above it all broken but not beyond repair let's see how this soul fares being him getting up and dusting off his uh his shirt and getting to work but it also could mean the opposite in the sense of following the light at the end of the tunnel maybe or maybe the light is is the sun maybe the sun is like like steve was saying kind of a double entendre in that not only is he the sun but he he is that beacon of light he is that that the hope in this tragic situation also this this could just be hunter leaving it to fate just saying oh i'll go wherever fate makes me go 
I'm not going to try to die. I'm not going to try to live, but I will just go along with fate. And it just so has it, just so has it that he gets saved. Yeah, but like, and you can also think about it like, like when we said the light at the end of the tunnel, he could be seen the light at the end of the tunnel, but then the light manifests into the figure that is his brother. Yeah, I, I just think light in, in in this sense with with illuminating, it's it's all about just allowing fate to do what it does. Yeah. When I I think um, skipping forward to Act Five a little bit, how we have the song "Light" about Hunter's son, I, I think the concept of uh, that. A, a son being being a light is is used several times. You know, not only is his son kind of mm-hmm. uh, used as not as a homophone for you know the word son, like the the ball of fire in the air, but it's also the son here. So he he uses this this light metaphor for not only himself. I think in Act Two, uh, I think Nick was saying that there's there's an instance of that in there as well. But here he, he uses son and son interchangeably and talks about light and illuminating. And then in Act Five, he talks about his own son as as having light and kind of being uh, a, a guiding force. And it always seems to come back to sons. So don't know what that means. Well, and then going forward, because we already kind of broke down the chorus. Um, when it goes to the outro bit, uh, everything you thought you've lost, you haven't. Uh, basically the brother inspiring hope into Hunter, inspiring that Hunter can move mm. forward. There's n- His life isn't gone. There's still stuff to live for. Uh, laughing now, laughing now, laughing now with kind of his thoughts, and let's see how this soul fares before uh, going to the outro where he's kind of... I, I assume the way I perceive the actual outro with the private does part, I perceive it as him going back to camp and kind of hearing that playing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, to to me what happened was they reformed and they got in formation and they're marching back to camp or they're marching to somewhere safe. Uh, cuz that to me that sounds like a like a marching chance. And then when it goes to he said he had a story, it's just the right. door opening. You know, so I'm, I'm guessing that they they so, reformed, but, they regrouped after their de- devastating loss or or loss in the battle and they uh, they marched back to a safe place or a camp and then they they t- settled in for the night. They're probably drinking, they're probably um, celebrating the fact that they survived, yeah. and perhaps lamenting the fact they might not longer. No, it's just the, uh, I guess just like a whole synopsis of this. The uh, Hunter's lying there contemplating death, is slightly trying to fight it. He sees his brother. His brother gives him a bit of hope. He kind of starts dusting himself up. They get back into formation, and then they start heading back to camp after getting some newfound inspiration for his brother character that he doesn't really know is his brother yet. So... Hmm. I think that's pretty cool. And I guess uh, anything else you guys want to add musically or whatever? I, I do think that this song starts to represent a tonal shift. And I think we touched on it a little bit as far as like Hunter's attitude seems to be like subtly changing. But also it goes from this horrific death and destruction and chaos and war and battle straight into not only a, a, a glimmer of hope, but then it moves into like he said he had a story, which is almost like them um celebrating or or drinking or having fun telling stories sitting around the campfire so it's a it's just it's it's a it's a valley to the peak of of the battles well saved is also the turning point in this kind of story it's kind of like showing hunter's kind of acceptance of what's going on he's seen the worst to come what else really is there kind of it does get worse but you know that's just kind of him accepting it so Mm. I guess that I don't know if you Rue, you have anything else you want to add with this. I think you guys have said it all really. I, I think yeah, I I just see the song as like the 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 I mean it literally is the in between. It's right in the middle of the album. It's yeah, 
like you like you said, it's a turning point. I think in Hunter's mindset of, I think just experiencing a little bit of compassion, it mm. must do something for him. But I just don't think he is able to ever properly utilize that compassion, uh, which is just unfortunate because he just does wrong, wrong thing after wrong thing, really. So. Well, yeah, he's a big fucking poopy head. He what, is. what do you expect? <laughs> he is. <laughs> big facts. And also, we're talking about the story, remember, not me. Um, okay. Yeah, uh-huh. Of course. All right, so <laughs> I, I guess with that, that leads us right into, he said he had a story. Cue music! That was something. <laughs> Yes, we're back. We're back from the music, uh, and we, <laughs> this is the same day in the same session. So don't don't question it. Just consume product. Anyway, uh, we're we're on to he said he has a story, which which I think is uh, not not only a fan favorite, but kind of uh, I think really a staple for this story because it really kind of it's not a fan favorite. It's a Steve favorite. Well, I mean, I think I think it's like whenever it's played live, people tend <laughs> to really connect with it because it's just the the swing of it is really cool. The kind of gang vocals, like it's it's very fanfareish. Um, and and uh, just the sound of it. Essentially, too. this is you know, as I mentioned before, uh, this is them. They're all they they just got out of their battle. They all re regrouped uh, and they they licked their wounds and they're sitting around a fire, presumably having some drinks, playing some cards, maybe telling some. Uh, regaling, reg- having some cursed hands involved, yeah, re- maybe some red regaling ones. some tales of of listening to their favorite podcast. Yes, listening yeah. to the Dear Apparition podcast. See, un- unlike Hot Ones, we have our own version, which is called Red Ones, where it's just all of us red-handed <laughs> all the time. <laughs> but anyway, they're uh, they're telling tales of their their packs. So they don't know if they're going to live. You know, they 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 don't know if they're ever going to see another woman, or or if they're going to marry or have kids or whatever. So they're all kind of like reliving. Their moments probably in a way that disconnects them from the the emotional reality that they might not get it again. So it's it's just a swapping t- swapping stories kind of locker room talk type thing. Uh, and this is where we're really introduced to the father as like a focal character because uh, he yes. he of course this whole yeah. song is telling the story of Hunter's mom. So God, I'm gonna have to. You're gonna make me do all this production work. I have to get the. I'm, you know, I'm gonna be editing this episode for an entire day, right? The the beeps were legitimately the funniest thing about the Act Two episode. So I I plan to. What just, do you like? Do you like the really long beep I added for myself? I plan to just abuse those because I think it's hilarious. <laughs> because like what what I what I did for the uh, what, what I was doing when I was editing it is because I got to a certain point where I'm like this just needs more humor in it, and like um what I did is like I never said I, I never said the word f- which bleep uh, I never said the word. F- but when I said frick, I always bleeped it. And there was a point where I just literally said, I said frick, but I added like a fucking five second long bleep. I need, and I'm just like, I need to again talk about the IT crowd because the IT crowd is a gag where the boss is like cussing over and over again. And like, because British culture at the time was very heavy in the censorship, there was a guy with a big button on the wall at the time. I mean, I don't know if they still are, but at least at that time, that's what I gathered. So there's a guy just pushing this button on the wall that bleeps him every time he cusses, and he just, he accidentally pushes it, like, a second too late, or a second too early or something, so the cuss word is still very evident, and the beep is unsuccessful, and it just it reminds me of this whole experience. Anyway, 
Uh, this isn't the IT crowd episode. This is this is he said he had a story. Yes. About the IT crowd. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's actually if when you get past the lyrics, it's actually quite beautiful. Um yeah, this song is actually a uh this is one of my favorites on the album for just a bunch of reasons. Like in in between um today and today when we recorded the episode, I got uh I got a new pair of headphones and the first thing I went to go do after I, I listened to a few songs, I listened to like uh, Beauty School by Deftones because that's mix, mixed by the great Chris Lord Algae. And then I went to the, um, I mean, I sound like a Bostonian, but, and then I went to go to, uh, in Claudio Sanchez Venenum. Then I went to, uh, he said he had a story. And one thing I always notice about the song that I love is just the way the drums sound in the beginning, just the, the way the kick hits with the really airy sound and then the snare breaking your nose. It's just it's such a cool sound and then it comes right in where you have the really kind of stuttering guitars in the background and then Casey's just powerful powerful vocal melody carrying it mm. It's something that really resonated with me with the song like right away That's like what I was looking for from this band when I first heard this album And this is one of the songs that gave me those old-school panic at the disco vibes because I had that just like that swing to it Here's and um well, I, I only interrupt just because I think this relates to the swing and how maybe it connects to like the story in general. I, I imagine the swing is like story wise, all of the all the soldiers are sitting around like like I said, just kind of having fun, having having some drinks, kind of forgetting what's going on. And then I imagine the general or the father or whatever you want to call him, just swaggering up and like inserting himself into their good time just to like one up them. Like, oh, you guys think you have a good story. Well, I have a better one. <laughs> and like that, that snare at the beginning is him literally just kind of swaggering and strolling up to them and just kind of showboating and drawing attention to himself. Because that's exactly what that snare sounds like to me. It sounds like a, a bunch of <laughs> steps with, with some some gusto to them and like some kind of uh, conceited sense of superiority. Like, oh, well, you kids think you have some, some stuff to talk about. Well, here, listen to this. So that, that's that's why I picture that swing as being so kind of prominent. There you go. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I, I think it's what it's also meant to do is it's meant to give you a, like a, a musical mood of like a throwback to like the bittersweet like one and two where they're going through the dime because it has that kind of similar swingy feel because what this song is story wise, which we spoiled pretty heavily throughout the episode. We, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but you know what? Two week rule, right? Um, we went through he the way this starts off is you starts off with hunter walking into the uh basically the quarters and he sees his commanding officer which the general which we got stolen that award from uh the general was talking about how uh how yo check out this chick i banged her in this brothel there's like the silver circle sign resembling the dime and like she was great i fuck i screwed the hell out of her i abused her and then hunter's just like wait I know a girl who worked at a brothel with a silver circle sign on the wall. Wait a second. Are you my daddy? Yeah. Can we, can we talk about this? Cause I, I feel like you can't talk about the story like how, how this plays into the story without talking about how realistic it is, uh, whether, whether it is reality. Like it's, is it even possible that that Hunter randomly found one of the guys that banged his mother? Presumably there were tons of them and he just happens to not only be his father, but he happens to be, the the general. <laughs> so wait, it's a reach. Mean, it's a mean big t- reach. Tons of people who 
Found his mother? Well, I mean, he uh, found his mother, which she was a prostitute dying for a long, long time, I, I, what I, from what I gather. Of all the people who banged his mother, he happens to find yeah. the one that's fathered him. Like, like it just—it just seems extremely coincidental. I'm not—I'm not. I mean, it might just be just one of those coincidental story elements. I don't want to like discount the fact that it could just be that. But I mean, is this just another thing of Hunter just being so self-centered yeah. that everything he sees and hears, he has to relate back to himself? Because we never actually get any confirmation that this is his father. Well, uh, when I was uh, actually when I first heard this song, I actually thought it was about a. Uh, Hunter's growing up and experiencing like the sexual like charge that exists with being a teenager, which really isn't that. Like I said, it started on Act Three, but the um, but I went and listened to Kevin Pereira when he had Casey Crescenzo on before they did that performance on uh, on the attack, and um, Casey said that this is like the aha moment kind of thing. This is where like the pieces have been fluctuating in his head, and then it's just that kind of that click, and he's like, "Oh, wait a second, you're my daddy." And then she's like a record scratch and the, um, but looking at, looking at the way they kind of interpreted this, I think it's just kind of like Hunter saw the, saw the brother and he's like, you look kind of like me and he might've just seen his dad and then just kind of all clicked in some regard maybe. But it's also such like you being in the military know how insane of a coincidence it must be for you to be like put in a squadron with your fucking father, you know? I, it would be not only an extraordinary coincidence, but almost impossible coincidence, which is why you almost have to decide here and now during this album, what kind of story you think this is trying to tell. Is mm-hmm. it trying to tell one that's grounded in realistic scenarios? And then we can interpret this as being Hunter is just so self-centered that he has to relate everything back to himself. And he just, he can't possibly imagine a life that doesn't involve him or a world that he's not central in. Or is this supposed to be a fantastical story where extraordinary things can happen? And and it, it is it is meant to highlight the thematic elements more than the story elements. Maybe, but I think we should probably go into the lyrics because these are some insanely awesome lyrics. And uh, for those of you who don't know, which is all of you, uh, before we did this episode, we were actually talking about uh, what is art. Like we had a basically a forty-five minute conversation on what is art and what does it mean to create art. And uh, my perspective was that if it elicits an emotion and these lyrics elicited an emotion to create like a really divisive listening base of this song because this song is a great song, very catchy, but the lyrics are very kind of, vul- not vulgar, but they're like kind of disgusting and they make people feel really gross because it's about like sexual abuse. So starting off, uh, we have, there was a silver circle sign referring to the dime, which is the name of the brothel. Uh, she w- and she was standing at the door. We pressed our way through the crowd. Our pace was quickened to her floor, going to the room uh, on the way. And there was a single fainting light, and there was silk on the walls, kind of emphasizing the fact that this was a brothel. And it can- kind of giving some like descriptive characteristics, which I guess could click with Hunter, because he was at the dime when he uh, met Misleading, and his mom worked there and all that. Uh, she had a lot of love to give, and I was prepared to take it all, showing that his intentions were uh, less than noble. And then you have the uh, the crowd, the entire like squad saying, but what did she do next? It's, it's, it's showing that the way he's telling this is kind of like locker room talk in a way. Yeah, with Where the he's lads. being gross. Yeah, he's being gross and disgusting. The lads are like, oh, shit, son. And they're in the military. You know, they're all like horny bastards. They haven't seen women aside from, you know, the, that poison lady that we spoke about. The MacGuffin woman, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And as we progress, it says she had disrobed and she was waiting on the floor. She asked me what el- she asked me what it was I want. I thought I wanted it all. 
What did you say? I said, stand up and move your body to the bed. She quickly stood and slowly turned. And here's exactly what she said, showing that she's still kind of a person. She Mm -hmm. has like things she likes to pursue. She's has like a family. She's still very much like a living, breathing person. And he views her as an object which makes it really interesting when it goes into the part where the song slows down from her perspective. Please be soft and sweet to me. This life has not been good. You see it's hard with such a history buried in misery. And this is all being told from perspective. This like little stance is being told from the perspective of Ms. Terry uh, Hunter's mother. And then comes with the crowd. Oh, and just comes with the crowd. And what did you do next? Where he just kind of wipes it all away. I, I have something crazy and this, this might rival Rue's bad take from act two. I let me hang on let me say the conclusion first and then I will back it up I think and I don't even know if I really think this this (laughs) is just some wild idea that Miss Terry and the general were in love and I think that's well hang on let's let's add the dun 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 because that's that's that in love wait Miss Terry and the general were what yeah, let me let me explain. I really expected more. Dun more dun dun. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so because you uh, cut out, that's why. Ru, I hope you realize that's going to be a sound bite used throughout the episode now. Yeah. So here's here's what I'm thinking. Okay, just be, just because of the type of story that is happening right here, where it's where it is this kind of locker room talk, like a guy talking shit with other guys type thing. I'm harking back to thinking of like the be- the beginning of Greece. Have you guys seen the musical Greece? Unfortunately, when I was much much younger. <laughs> Okay, well, Danny, Danny Zuko, he's hanging out with his friends and he's telling them the story of, of what he did over the summer and how he met this girl. And the reality of the situation was that they were actually, he was very sweet and that they were in love. But when he got around his friends, he just felt this compulsion to say like, yeah, I, I, you know, I fucked her and I just used her and it was nothing but like, yeah, man, I got laid and, and, and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but it was it was actually quite the opposite of that. It's a showboat in front of his friends. And when I'm thinking about all the, the thematic parallels in the story between Hunter's mom and Miss Terry, it makes sense to me that Miss Terry being kind of a stand-in for Hunter's mother thematically would have a similar experience with one of her clientele. And it was in some way, like I said, misrepre- misrepresented in the story. And then it also has a thematic parallel of maybe this guy is like Hunter, and he also went off to war and joined the army to escape things. But he just happened to get farther. So maybe, maybe this is the end of, of a corresponding thematic story of Miss Terry and the general being in love, and he also ran away. And this is what Hunter's life could have been if he hadn't, if he hadn't gone back, if he just stayed in the military. And there you go. There's 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 a terrible hot take for you. Is that the the father and Miss Terry were in love, and he's lying here. Oh, we can put our pitchforks away. The father did nothing wrong. The father did nothing. What's that? What? Craig, you want you want to fire Hunter? Oh <laughs> my God! I, you said this about you said this about Rue too. We're not going to have a podcast. It's just going to be me. <laughs> no, you I can't gosh. come on fucking correct anyway so that, that, I, mean, I want to write that off that that's a take i don't think it's that that absurd i really don't i, I, I don't mean, think it's it, that ridiculous. It, it makes sense like so it's kind of this idea that what hunter's going through with misleading is kind of being paralleled with right because we have and, we have all yeah. these parallels and we have the ouroboros which is where things begin is where they end and to see almost hunter's story like 
take place at the tail end of this story that already happened that was thematically you know similar or identical just to me drives home this this concept of everything everything is cyclical you could kind of work in the phrase as well possibly you know like the flame is gone the fire remains ruse on my side yeah i don't know i think hunter's convinced me (laughs) i'm I'm gonna straight up say um unlike ruse take which is objectively false um hunter (laughs) your take has wiggle room because there is a lot less objectivity to act three especially since we see the father for like two or three songs right where with rue where with his episode and by the way act two that act two episode is the perfect like display of character development i've ever seen it's like you see rue make such a shitty take (laughs) and then he just backpedals slightly and slightly and slightly and then by the end of it he's just like you know what i'm just going to dig myself deeper in this hole and meanwhile he's texting us while recording the episode he's like yeah i think i might have been wrong (laughs) but with, with hunter's take it's like I can see where you're coming from, which is why I'm not considering it a terrible take. I think I don't think it's correct. I don't think that they were in love. I just think that Ms. Terry viewed working at the dime as like a means to an end and she didn't view the people like objects. That she just wanted to be treated like a person and maybe this could have been after a really long day at work and she this is gonna be her last client. He probably slipped through the door. They closed at eleven, he slipped in at ten fifty nine and she's like, Oh fucking hell. She's like, just you know what? Please please do what you need to do. Just just don't be an asshole about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm now just imagining the father like in the actual situation. He's all he's all nervous. He, he's stuttering. He's shaking. He's like, he's asking Miss Terry for permission to do stuff. <laughs> and can, can I put your hair behind your just, ear? <laughs> Let me throw in one last one last piece of supporting evidence. Okay, let's go to the last line of the song. What was her name? Miss Terry. Yeah. Doesn't that sound like it corresponds a lot with the first time Hunter slept with misleading where it's what's your name conceding misleading? I mean, yes, but it's also a common phrase. It is, but you know, we're, we're in the business of looking too deep into things. I'm going to call this, this this song also has the word the, which corresponds to 1878. Does this song take place in 1878? Oh, oh no. Nah, fuck know. you. Anyway. It, it uh, seems really parallel to the to the experience. Again, it just it seems like he's, I'm sorry, he's, we're called the we're called Dear Apparition Podcast, <laughs> not the Parallel Apparition Podcast, okay? Um, you know what? I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna throw this out there. We'll see what people think. I think I made a compelling case. I think you're wrong. Anyway, so going over to the next lyrics, um after and what did you do next following what miss terry said i broke a smile reminding that i paid her well her lips returned and then i felt her hands unbuckling my belt so was it good it felt like heaven but i'm sure she was in hell i made it clear i'd get my money's worth out of the goods she sells this is the part that's really controversial among the fans because it's literally him abusing her and in this next line it's so vulgar and gross and i love the like the flow of it and the delivery of it it's like it's break and bind yourself to me deliver what you sold you see that i will only take from you and use it up i'll use you up what was your name that's just like it's brutal it's powerful right yeah it's like it reminds me of um what was it It, i think it was in the pimp and the priest where they're they're saying uh we're talking about suffocating stress or there was a, a lyric in um i forgot what song it was where there's where they referred to uh they referred to miss terry as like on her back screaming I, I forgot what song it was it was on act one uh I, well i mean uh broker your sins while she screams on her back yeah there you go uh, specifically to misleading 
or not misleading Miss Terry. Amidst, I don't know if it's referring to anyone in particular. I think it's just referring to. Yeah, but I just, but like the um, but I'm saying that kind of delivery it's vulgar and gross, but it paints such a perfect picture. Yes, no, you're right. It it really it it highlights the the kind of the debaucherous nature of this whole in, of inter- interaction, this whole exchange. But going through with the uh, the rest of the lyrics, it's just the whole song. Basically, it's just a summary of him telling the story. And then by the end, you have Hunter's, Hunter's aha moment. You're my daddy because it's saying, what was your name? Which leads into this beautiful lie. But you guys have anything else you want to add about the song musically? I know we have some reprisals in here. I don't know if you want to touch upon that. <laughs> Before we leave the song, you know, let me say that that take I had is not a solid take. That's not my gospel opinion. I just I think it is an interesting theory worth exploring. I do also stop backpedaling. I do also think it's possible that he really was just a guy who uh, sexually abused a prostitute. That is also possible, but I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to see the parallels and I actually find a little bit of beauty in my interpretation. The parallel hunter. Okay. Um, anything (laughs) sober you want to talk about music? Yeah. So I, I guess, the the kind of elephant in the room the main thing to talk about would be the uh the main riff the uh because uh, that's used uh i mean it, it was kind of foreshadowed i guess in uh the previous songs mustard gas uh, was it mustard yeah. gas du, 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 du. uh so you've got that riff that it, it's got a certain character characteristic to it where it's uh it's, it's, it's like uh it's like a villainous kind of characteristic to it so it's it it, it really kind of drives home i i get the uh i'm 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 vapor locking you, you got this rule <laughs> I got this. So yeah, so you have the power this, of editing will bring you back. The power of editing. Yeah, so you've got this riff which appears not only before the song but also afterwards in its uh is it most cursed of hands on Act Five? Yeah, it, it occurs in most cursed of hands. Um, it, I don't know if it occurs before. It's more at the end where uh, you have they're playing the D's. The I should get my guitar. I feel like, but they're playing the the. D D D D D, and then Casey delivers lines like do 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 do, do. kind of like that. It's more focused though. Yeah, so I, I I guess that there's some significance to that riff that basically signals that this event in this song is a a significant one, and I guess that's where perhaps Hunter's delightful take. <laughs> Might maybe kind of falls apart because I don't know. I, I, I just think an event that kind of has a motif attached to it, it, it must be so significant that it's related to the boy's life and not just some. Or, or it's related to how Hunter's perceiving it. Because obviously, regardless of the reality of the situation, Hunter is going to take this story and he's going to use it to get so angry that he murders somebody. Like, Hunter straight up murders somebody. Well, also keep in mind though that his murder in his eyes were was just like he well, we'll get into that i guess when we get to the songs but um i guess that kind of concludes he said he had a story right it's not going to sure. be concluded until everyone yeah. agrees right. with me but we can move on uh cue music right <laughs> no hunter you're wrong anyway cue music cue mute craig cue the fucking mute <laughs>
Now we're on, uh, <laughs> we're on this beautiful life. And, and what a beautiful life it is. Ah, uh, yes. I was listening to this on, on the way home from school today, just cause I, I needed to kind of catch up on the last, the latter half of this, this album, just kind of familiarizing myself with it. And it is just, it is such a fucking, just a great feel good song. Like it, it, it couldn't have a better title than this beautiful life because just the way the music mm-hmm. plays with each other and the way it all kind of comes to a head at the end is just so fucking it pumps you up and it makes you feel like like a, a bunch of flowers are giving you a big warm bear hug it's awesome just a really great big hand job or the, the latter half of this album is <laughs> we're not on he said he had a story anymore the, the latter half of this album is very different that's what i like about it some of my favorite records like city of evil by avenged Sunfall, for example the back half is totally different from the front half and this is kind of the same here mm-hmm. um the back half really slows down and it's much more intimate for like for it and that's what I think is really cool. Aside from like "Go Get Your Gun," um, he said his story is kind of like the turning point, not only thematically but also like musically. And I think that's just really cool because you end it. You end. He said he said he had a story with a big bang, and then it just goes right over here where you have Casey just starting off singing without any instrumentation, and then bringing the keys with him. And I just find that really interesting. Well, in this and that that tonal shift that you're talking about is is weird because this whole album so far has been, and we we. This album's been so dark that it was almost uncomfortable to talk about earlier. And now suddenly, suddenly it is just so bright and happy. And then even leading into the next song, like a, a topic that has already been covered super, super darkly comes off the back of this and is suddenly jovial and kind of light, lighthearted. So I, I won't jump into that yet, but it, it relates to just the weird tonal shift from this song. We'll, we'll go with the lyrics then. So the intro, uh, one foot, then the other, such embarrassment. <laughs> I'm sorry, we were just like, alright, the intro. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know, we were just like, okay, I'll take it. Let me just read the lyrics. Yes. I'm a, I'm a good reader. I'm a good reader. I mean, that's how we usually go. We just kind of read it line by line until we end up like arguing about one tiny little like word and then it takes up like half an hour and then we just kind of like quickly read the last, <laughs> the rest of it. Yeah, one of our listeners, I forgot her name and I feel terrible. Uh, I think I think it was Rachel, the uh, the plant Rachel girl. Valero. Um, yes, I think she said this, where she loves how we just argue about like stupid minutiae for like ten minutes, and here we are, where we spent an entire like what twenty minutes arguing about the pronunciation of "incauda venenum," "incauda," <laughs> and then we gloss over like the bulk of what actually contains the story elements. <laughs> yeah, because that's how we roll here. We argue about stupid bullshit. Because we got to be accessible to people who never heard this album before. That's that's the goal, right? I mean, if 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 people wanted to go line by line and just try to figure out what this meant and just kind of look at it like a fucking dictionary, then they they could do it themselves and it would be boring. But it's more fun to just sit around and and talk to your and abuse Rue, abuse Rue. But I'm also, yeah, we yes. we use we use him up anyway. Uh, <laughs> just to sit around and talk. What was your name? Rue with the hard R. Just to talk to your friends about about a thing <laughs> that you all enjoy and come up with little theories and 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 kind of dwell into the the aspects of it that really kind of flesh out the story beyond just what the lyric. Because I, I think anyone who's big into the deer hunter, anyone who's listening to this, has probably gone over these. I mean, I haven't, and I'm doing this episode. 
<laughs> I'm literally reading these lyrics for like the first time because I don't look up lyrics. Well, maybe I should have everyone else on the show. <laughs> Go for maybe it. It gives me less for editing to do. Um, anyway. No, I'm literally looking at these lyrics for the first time. It, I think to flesh out this world with adding the minutiae, with adding the little personalizations. Like Hunter's bad takes, Rue's bad takes, my objectively amazing takes. I'm not saying that we're improving the, the story of Casey Crescenzo, but if someone else were to say it, they'd probably be right. <laughs> Okay. Imagine if Casey's like, yeah, I should have went with your interpretations instead. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Yeah, I'm sure Casey, like, he listens to this episode and he's like, wow, this is way better than the story that I sit there spending 10 years to tell. That, that's that's definitely what he thinks. No, that's, that's These definitely guys not what's happening. If, if Casey ever does it. listen to this, which, God, I hope he doesn't, it's probably just that we missed the mark so drastically. Uh, that's that he just he he laughs at us but it's his fault for keeping it so cryptic you know we can only work with what we got remember how scared we were when we were like when we dropped the act two episode and the band was on tour and they were like giving us feedback on the episode and we're just like if anyone is playing this on speaker in the tour bus that's awful i feel bad for them wait was that the act two episode or was that the max episode i think it was the act two episode was that dropped when they were still on tour? The Act 2 oh, episode came out the Friday... Or no, the Sunday after my show, I believe. God, that's not good. Yeah, I I, th- I think we had like a little... Uh, like, just an- anxious nightmare of just them putting on the speakers in the tour bus and just laughing at us because we're pathetically <laughs> disgusted. <laughs> <laughs> pointing at us like the cool kids at school. <laughs> just like that. <Yeah>, just... <laughs> It's like the losers in school showed up with like a new wardrobe and thought that made them one of the cool kids and, and everyone just laughs at us. This this God. podcast is our is our new wardrobe. This this podcast is just us receding further and further into our hole. <laughs> anyway, we should probably stop breaking the fourth wall, should yeah, we? we should. <laughs> we're 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 playing it too much like a pre show. Anyway. Let's <laughs> let's Dude, the pre shows are so much fun. The the pre shows are more arguably more podcasty than the actual podcast. Yeah, but it doesn't have a cohesive theme, so no one's going to listen to it. Like, Yo, fuck cohesiveness. This, anyway, this, whole, to, this uh, whole Deer Hunter thing is just a front for us to release our nonsense podcast that we... we... So, outside of this whole 10-minute fucking fork in the road, uh, Rue, lyrics. Yes, lyrics, okay. One for... Intro. <laughs> intro, yes. That's the intro. <laughs> so, one foot, then the other. Such embarrassment. It wasn't meant that I should discover such offensive things. This suffering sends hope to the ground. Why are you reading them like William Shatner? <laughs> but I never really has enough leave. Got pride in him this tide. Turns. Okay, can we fire a roof from reading the lyrics? <laughs> Alright, I'll take this one. This tie turns over! Is that better? <laughs> God. And he didn't even get it right. It's this tide turns lives over. Gosh. Um, this tide turns lives over! Better? <sighs> Not at all. Anyway, <laughs> so, yeah. let's, just, let's examine that, <laughs> let's examine that <laughs> intro. Alright, let me just do this. One foot, then the other. Such embarrassment, it wasn't meant that I, I should discover such offensive things. This suffering sends hope to the ground, but I really had, never had enough. They've got pride in him. The tide turns lives over. Uh, what does that mean? So, I, I, I guess so the first half would be the, the fact that he's... I guess just ashamed, disgusted that 
yeah. You know, thinking about my thing. This is after the record scratch. Hmm. Well, I think story-wise, this is them. This is next morning. Camp has been broken, and they're marching again because you know one foot than the other. He's probably stuck in formation. He's probably stuck marching. And when you are, your mind wanders. Like I, I don't know that I was like co- conscious for fucking one percent of my marches. So your mind just starts to wander, and he's sitting there thinking, like, "Fuck, this guy's my dad," or at least at this point, he thinks he's his dad. Uh, in any in any sense, it's it's Hunter re re questioning his entire life. If like if if his entire life started because of such an awful act, what does that mean for him? Like, what does that mean about his place in the world? He's ashamed. He's embarrassed secondhand because he's the product of such a shameful and embarrassing thing. I mean, unless someone has another interpretation. Um, no, I think you're on the money. It's just kind of him lift, trying to lift up his spirits, you know. I think I think that's just really what this song really boils down to. Like, if you go into the next verse, which Rue, if you want to so eloquently read it, unlike Robert or unlike Shatner, that'd be great. <laughs> okay, so we got a black tongue prophecy adorned in stony skin. We never ever ever had to lie to move ahead, but here in oblivion we cling to what we can. So in the end, we can say that with these hands we took it all we back. Took it all back. Yeah, it's, it's a great song. <laughs> great song. So, Thank you. For but that this this is just like, see, when he's referring to a black tongue prophecy adorned in stony skin, is that's referring to what he just heard from his general, correct, or his newfound daddy? He's sitting here, like, just contemplating what he said, and this also is kind of him marching off to like, to war, and he's just kind of seeing this awful person leading him, you know, like he doesn't know the awful nature really of him outside of that story he told until like later on in this record but that's kind of what i'm gathering here is just this kind of like he's really trying to cope himself because um the next verse really confirms that it, it, it just it says so let us force a smile and pretend that we're alive oh but somewhere none of this happened the bullets removed themselves life is beautiful i have a home above the lake where i could yeah, this just sounds like another fantasy. Like, this is another instance in Act 3 where Hunter's just basically disconnecting from the reality that he's experiencing. And he's yeah. imagining himself in his happy place. And his happy place is a place where he didn't watch people die. They, they're they still alive. They're still happy. And he's still in in the cabin by the lake and the river. And every everything's fine. It's very much like um, it's a self-defense mechanism. But he's doing, the, he's doing a really reclusive kind of... Uh, way of coping, and he's kind of shutting down. At least that's what I'm gathering from this. This is well. He, he's also wallowing, and I, th- I think that he's he's sitting here and he's dwelling on this whole. This guy raped my mother, and and he's my father. And how could this happen? I have to avenge her. I loved her so much, and if it weren't for him, maybe none of this would have happened. And and so he's he's kind of he's scapegoating all of his life's problems onto this guy. And this is, by the way, regardless of whether or not that's a true story, Hunter has no reason to really believe that guy's his father. Like, even even if that story is entirely 100% true, Hunter is personifying this guy as his father because he's using him to actually try to manifest his issues into something he can actually interact with. And it's it's in the worst possible way. He wants to murder this guy. I think Hunter is... Which is why I doubt the, the veracity of the tale as it's described. Because, like... Hunter has absolutely no reason to believe this guy's his father and, and just wants to because he wants someone to be mad at. He needs someone to be mad at and he needs someone to, to kill as a representation of his problems. 
So this is him to me, like building mm. himself up, like giving himself the self-talk of, God, how could he? He's so fucking terrible. Why does everyone like him so much? How could he do this? And I got to do something about it. I'm the only one who could do something about it. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Pretty much. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Yeah, <laughs> rubber, 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 rubber. <sighs> so, I mean, this this is almost a break in Hunter's psyche. I mean, I, I really think this murder of the general is, is a lot mm. bigger of a deal than it's made out to be in the story. Because I think it's always it's always presented at face value of oh yeah well he he raped his mother and he's he's a bad guy, but I mean if you if you look at the actual the 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 account of events even if they're believed as as detailed like none of that suggests that this guy is Hunter's father. I mean I don't, I don't know I just, I think this has to be Hunter's like literally well, yeah. snapping. See, that's the thing that's, like, really weird to me is that thematically when it comes to stories, like, let's look at, like, Taxi Driver or Joker, those kinds of movies that are, like, character, like, case studies, right? That, like, you, there's usually a snapping point somewhere in there. And, like, for example, with Joker, it's just kind of, like, he's getting, like, one hit after another before he finally snaps. Or with, like, same thing with Taxi Driver, it's, like, there's a, there's a point where he just snaps and he's, like, everything's fucking awful. I'm going to go kill the... I'm going to go kill this guy and just... It's more like, with but with this story, it's like there isn't any one snap like point where he snaps. He just keeps snapping, keeps going deeper and deeper down a hole, leading into the latter acts where it's his life. But this of is definitely deceit, a boiling point. Like he's never done anything like murdering somebody. Like murdering someone is a huge fucking deal, and it's it's presented so cavalier in the story. It is. Yeah, because well, he hasn't even he hasn't even murdered the yet. final lyrics. Rue, if you could... Yeah. Go, William Shatner. Sure, let's do it. So, we got... Forget the words to the songs that we've heard, the passages read, all the names in a world that have brought us this pain from the wounds we've sustained, a cold, callous heart sitting still in this cave of a chest, uh, so abandoned a life from before, a boy and his innocence. Those are some great lyrics. Is this like an like an outside looking in kind of perspective? Because like when he says so abandoned a life from before, a boy and his innocence. Is he like saying, "Hey, yo, I'm not innocent anymore," or is this like a narrative, like a narrator narrator talking about this? That's the. I think that's the biggest issue with these acts is that you can't really discern if it's a narrator or not, and if there is a narrator, narrator who is the narrator? Is this like well, and that, that's again that goes back to how reliable not only Hunter is as a narrator, but if this is even narrated from his point of view, and if it is whether or not these are a realistic series of events. But I think this is told from Hunter's perspective, and it's it is him. I, I want to reiterate the snapping point thing. This is to him saying that nothing has ever been helped by me being an innocent little nice guy like i i have to actually do something i have to and and that's supported by lyrics earlier of him you know that these these hands can uh, what's the what's the exact lyric here um in the end we can say we took it or we can say that with these hands we took it all back i, like, I was to, expecting to me, you to go lincoln park for a second in the end it doesn't really matter or it doesn't yeah. even matter or whatever but there you go but yeah, the, to me, this is just this is him telling himself it's because it, I, I even said at the beginning of the song that I think it's him just brooding and reflecting and, and kind of snapping point of that where he just says, you know what, this this is changing me. I'm not you know no more Mister Nice Guy. 
mm. and and this and then that it perfectly transitions into the the part of the album where he does you know start taking some really fucked up drastic actions yeah i think this is his final kind of farewell to you know before i was a murderer and the person i'm a, i'm about to become so yeah i think that's that makes a great finishing line i think abandoned life from before a boy and his innocence yeah it's it's basically saying uh, there was actually there was a poem about that i i'm not going to try to quote it cuz I, I i'll someone will recognize the poem and tell me how stupid i am for not remembering it correctly but it's it's basically to to separate the the boy from the man and and to do it in such a way that you're you're almost creating a split personality i mean not obviously not a, a clinically split personality but one where you want so de- you want so desperately to separate yourself from the things that defined you previously that you adopt the opposite traits to kind of overcorrect which explains yeah. why he overreacts mm, here i mean yeah. again it's interpretive whether or not it's overreacting since we are talking about a rape here but i i don't think really the the rape is is the biggest thing he's upset about i think it's that he thinks this rape is the thing that's conceived him and that he's a product of this vile evil thing I don't know if rape is the right word. Well, I mean, if if we're to believe the story it's as... It's like it's sexual abuse. If we're, if, we're, if we're to believe the story as the general told it, there was, there was an exchange of, of goods for a service. So if, if we're seeing the sex work as, I will give you money if you have sex with me, they're both agreeing to that transaction. But during the sex, she says, she asks him, please be soft and sweet to me. So by adding a qualifier to yeah. that initial uh, agreements, if he... If he doesn't go along with that stipulation, then they are no longer consenting to the same parameters, which means anything that takes place after that is against her consent, which means it's rape. Mm, I'm not going to touch that with the 10-foot pole. Anyway, uh, so I guess, where do you guys want to go with that? Do you want to leave off This Beautiful Life? Because next up is Go Get Your Gun, which is probably the last rock song on the album. it's, It's worth mentioning the one reprise in this song that's in the that's in the outro. So after the line, uh, the mm-hmm. passage is read with the names in a world. Um, you've got that black sandy beaches melody again, the, uh, um, I never uh, recognize that. It is, a. Uh, it's no. like, uh, that's right. So, um, that's right. Rue, you're such a good fucking musician. I hate you. you. So what do you before <laughs> we too, Steve. Okay, simmer down, you two. Oh, hey. you slept in my bed. You guys are having a slept in my bed for a week. Sleep. Can't hate me that He's much. Sleeping in each other's beds. Anyway, what what do you think this uh, reprise means then? I mean, because I I don't have. I I think because because the line is all the names in the world that have brought us this pain. I think it's hinting towards misleading. Because Black Sandy Beaches was about his his communications with misleading. I think that's just a melody that's just basically tying this all back to misleading as the reason he went to war and did all of this in the first place. And ultimately, I think he's pinning the fact that he's in this situation now where he's, he's about to murder someone. I, he's tr- I, th- I think he's pinning that all on misleading i I think of course rue thinks it's all misleading is what the reprise yeah 
He's been sleeping his foe. <laughs> well, I mean, perhaps it's similar to the Lake South oh, thing. Who that the because we we talked about in the Act One episode how the Lake South theme represents a transitioning from one stage, whether it's a physical stage or an emotional stage or or something like that, to another. Maybe since this song initially represented him literally changing stages of life, doing something very drastic, maybe this is supposed to be representing another drastic shift, and and this the, that could be interpreted as the draft, drastic shift he's taking in his character to try to overcompensate for what he sees as like this deficiency of innocence, you know. Hmm. Yeah. It's quite yeah possible. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not Casey. I don't know. But uh, with that, yes. With that, go get your gun. I'll let I'll let you Americans talk about the guns. Tran. I'll I'll, I'll sit out of this. Transition. Cool. Okay, right, so I kind of I kind of mentioned the song uh, during the last song because I I feel like they are they're tied together in that uh, again they represent this this tonal shift from this very dark somber negative vibe that's been that's been hammered ad nauseum into us throughout this whole album and now suddenly things are upbeat and jovial and I, I think maybe the reason that this this is the same thing happening because it's basically it's another battle happening. And we've seen battles represented as such as terrible, awful thing. I think the reason this one's represented as different is because Hunter has just made that transition to the the type of person. Like, he, he he's just had that drastic shift. He's just had that snapping point. And so this is, again, a, tr- a tonal juxtaposition to show that the innocent boy was scared of all this death and war and, and horror. But the the monstrous man that he's trying to utilize is trying to revel in it and utilize it. Because this really does sound like a very, very happy, upbeat song. Like this is this is a real knee slapper of a track, and it's about a war. It's about people dying, and and not only is that just a weird tone to take for that theme, but it's one that throughout this album has been, I mean, again, just continually like nauseatingly yeah. reinforced as like war bad. Yeah, I, I guess I guess it's where this is later on in the album. I guess you could say that. They're past the point of just being horrified by the war now. That they're now just being so jovial with it that they're just taking everything in stride as it th- their whole reality for the entire squad has has shifted and now this is their new normal and they're just making light of it. Yeah, this song is the Red Hands of Act Three, I'm just gonna say that. Anyway, um this is the first song on Act Three or this this is in the la- this is the first, I guess, big band song that's in a major regression, right, Rue? Uh, in a major regression. Uh, let me have a look at the track listing. I mean, there's saved, but but. I'm saying like the big band songs, like out of Mustard Gas or in Claudio Venenum or in uh, I mean, uh, Poison Women or things like that. What it means to be alone is kind of ma- majory for for some of it, but the, but. Actually, we're totally wrong. Uh, I, I pulled up Genius because I, I didn't I don't really know much about the song, and although it links to a source on the lake and the river from like the the answers, you remember the story time thing, the acts, the final actor. Oh yeah, sure. Apparently, he said that this is a drinking song that they're singing, and if you read the lyrics like that, it makes way more. Yeah, they're sense. routing themselves up. Yeah, it makes way more sense as like uh, like we had a bunch of those songs in the Navy too that were just like these ridiculous little chanty. Sing me one. Oh God, let me remember. Um, Here we go. 
there was there was this one song that we always we had to sing whenever we went under a tunnel there was a certain tunnel on base and every time we went through it we had to sing the song like loud as we could uh and it was it was a navy drinking song oh my god i'm not gonna be able to remember it this was this was seems so long ago Ooh. Man, you're actually awful. I know, but what, what I'm saying is like this: that, that if you would have made my night, if you read the, li- I might try to Google it while we're on this episode, just so I can try to remember it. But if you if you read these lyrics as like a a little, you know, kind of uh, a, a little traveling song for war or a little drinking song, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I mean, go get your gun, get your gun, and let's find out what it does. Shoot, 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 shoot. Uh, we haven't won, and if we win, and if the morning light sets in, we've cheated fate again. Um, and to those who die, please try to understand that for those who die, we try the best we can with one foot in the grave and the other one kicking its way right down a hell. I guess it's kind of dumb accepting that they could potentially die in this battle, and it's also like... But the, the verse one is just more so kind of them rationalizing it, and when blended with the chorus... It's basically them saying, hey, these people still have lives, kind of going back to, I want to say it was mustard gas, where they say, hey, these people have lives and they're like, they have families and stuff like that. Or no, was that in Cauda? Regardless. Yeah, yeah. But the, um, but that, that's kind of coming back here. So the, the morality of the situation of killing all these people in war is kind of singing back in. I, I found yeah. the song, by the way. It's, it's called uh, Anchors Away. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to find the lyrics that we sang. Um, Stand Navy out to sea, fight our battle cry. We'll never change our course. So vicious foes steer shy, I, I. Uh, this is what we would sing when we go through the tunnel. Roll out the TNT, anchors away. Sail on to victory and sink their bones to Davy Jones, hooray. Anchors away, my boys, anchors away. Farewell to foreign shores. We sail the break of day, AA. And this, this is basically the tonally, this aligns with the type of song that go get your gun is where it's basically just like hey we're gonna go fights we might get our asses kicked but you know it's a, it's another propagandizing or propaganda technique is just you know hey let's pump these guys up and make them reckless and not really care about their own death let's let's leverage this anticipatory energy they have into excitements yeah i, I guess I, I get what you're saying with, with that i don't know the, this song is like it's pretty one note though like lyrically yeah i mean like like one of those little it, marching songs yeah, it's literally just them saying like, "Hey, the um, we're going to war. When this is, we're going to battle. When this is done, we're just going to sit back. We're going to throw throw back a drink and then uh, move on, and we're, we'll just do it again, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's kind of what they're getting paid to do." Yeah. Am I, do you guys see it any different? I'm, I'm trying to, yeah, but while you guys kind of break this down. I'm, like the bridge. I'm trying to find the source from the story time so we have a concrete answer. That the bridge is now when this is over, then we'll raise a glass straight up to the sun with one foot in the grave and the other one kicking his way right down a hill, right down a hill, reprising the first verse and before reprising the chorus again. Um, it, it's it's basically, yeah, it's, it's kind of written, I guess, like kind of like a shanty. I don't know Casey's involvement with the military. I don't know how strongly related he is to the military. I but think it's only considered a shanty if it's the Navy, but it's basically that type of little jingly propaganda song that's supposed to make you root against your own well-being for for the purpose of camaraderie. Mm. Sounds like a good time to me. Yeah, it's, it's a great time. Yeah, and let me <laughs> let me see if I can find the exact quote from Casey on this because we can't really close the book until uh, it says, "Go get your gun." Go get your gun is meant as a cheesy drinking song that's been around in this world. It's a novelty of the time as it existed in this world for a long time. That's that's the 
information from Act 3. That hmm. changes this context completely. Yeah, so ba- basically this is just a, a marching tune that we, we spent, we wasted way too much time on something that actually has a concrete answer. <laughs> yeah, it has a concrete meaning. Uh, so I guess this is where we can get into the probably the most story-focused songs on the record. Um, so who's going to do it? Who's, who's going to say it? Are you talking about Sun? Oh, you're, you're talking about key music. Key no, music. Yeah, who's going to... Music. Damn, I don't want to do it. All right, now let's go. Let me let me move my mouse. Clickety doodah. That didn't work. Anyway, so this it's it's interesting to me. You say that these are the most um, story focused songs on the axe because I I think they're I'm the not most the axe. I'm saying story the act. like ve- Well, not the axe, yeah. but this this album. Uh, like because they're they're to me they seem like the most story mm-hmm. vague. Like the 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 way that things transpire within these set of songs seems very like ill-defined, and there's no really strong focal points to say what's happening when. It's just it's just a general tone of you can kind of tell what's going on that this is, you know, the 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 brother is giving Hushin to take his life, and or not not to take his life and kill him, but to take his life and and be him. And that's obviously something happened where the brother is dying, and so there must have been a battle and. Uh, so again, it, to me, it seems that's, like that's why go get your gun had a different connotation to me because I thought that was the battle that led into sun dying. Well, I, I mean, that could have been a kind of a representation of that battle happening. It could have been them marching into battle and maybe, maybe Casey just didn't want to tell the story of a yet another battle. He wanted to tell the perspective of right before it. Maybe. Cause we already had two battle songs in this album. What? Mustard gas and Encada? Uh, the tank and, and the gas. tank. And Kauda's going to battle. Yeah. I should have known what I said about these songs. I'm sorry. We're recording this literally the same day. Yeah, um, this happened literally. We just talked about this literally like two hours ago. Hunter, it's your turn to do lyrics. Sure. Uh, I mean, I, I, I can read them, but as far as uh, analyzing them, I'm not sure how useful I'll be. But uh, we lay a line to move to disguise with a soul below, only the eyes above. Slowly and silently slip away. Sleep now in the soil, the dust in the debris... A stolen smoke ascends, leaving the shell to atrophy. Meet with the earth as the sober spirit sings. Leave, leave it behind. This truth is harming you. Leave, leave it behind. Set out and start anew. Your life hereafter will cure all your troubles and recast a history. Turn and mm-hmm. walk away. This this is why it's vague for me. Because I that last part, to me, says, like, that's... That's like the brother telling Hunter, like, hey, this is a chance for you to start fresh. Like, I'm giving I'm giving you an opportunity with my life and my identity to not only start fresh, but to go and no, no, live no, an already no, established no, no. life. You don't think no, so? Th- th- this oh, are, we wait, are we getting a bad take? Are we getting no, a bad I take? This is, a relative. is this a bad take? I thought this was a pretty standard This take. is a sensible take, I think. You no, said that about Act 2. That's a very unsensible take. How is that unsensible? No. I'm not talking about Rue. Fuck you, Hunter. Everything's about you, okay? You already have no, your own acts. I, I think Hunter's talking to... <laughs> I think this is Hunter's... His own kind of conscience kind of talking to him. It, it's basically saying to himself, look, this is your chance now to... to have a better life. So turn and walk away. You know, turn, just turn around. He's dead now. You are now him. 
you know? Well, no, 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 because it, he can't be dead yet because in a later song, like, it's obviously the brother talking to him because he says, like, um, and what of the mother, uh, she always loved her son and you look like him. Like, that. that's something that would only really come from the brother is to say, like, hey, my mother loves me so much and you look enough like me. Like, just, just give don't let her know I died. Like to me that that is the ultimate granting of you have my permission to take this life. Mm. Cause that wouldn't really make sense from Hunter to say to himself. Yeah. But also musically speaking too, this is also like half of the song. I mean, I mean, so, some, some, right, some, which some is of the other, other are basically the same. Which is why I said this is like the beginning of that conversation. It's actually further. The, the, yeah. There's no the, A in there. Yeah. This is why I said it's like the beginning of that conversation between the brother and Hunter where the battle took place and hunt in, uh, the battle took place the brother was wounded and he's basically talking to hunter saying like hey uh i, I guess they've probably talked throughout the war they know and he knows Hunter's struggling he's saying like hey i'm i'm gonna die i'm i'm you look just like me which again is just nonsense but we'll get to that later <laughs> just take my life and go you know comfort my mother she she's always loved me you can have another mother like the one you lost uh, to me it's 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 that ultimate granting of approval of saying this this is now yours i'm giving you a second chance of life hmm. okay okay you uh that makes sense but they but it only starts it only starts to make sense once you include father so son as a tough as a right, so song doesn't really hunter you're going to say it oh uh transition Stop si- God, this is the <laughs> fourth on. time this episode you said that. I, I, on, I love it. Anyway, okay, no. Music. No, no Fantano allowed in Deer Hunter stuff, okay? Music goes here. Please. Please. Hunter. No more Fantano. Cue music. Oh, do you want me to say cue music? Okay, uh, cue music. <laughs> This is going to be a bitch to edit. That way it's going to be a fucking asshat. It's going to be an asshat to edit. Whatever. Um, okay, so let's let's consider son and father one song. Can we do that? It's going to be much easier. We, yeah, because like that's one thing I want to touch. Why is it split? I don't know. Why? Why? That's what why? I was saying. That, that, that why? My interpretation of son only... Why? Are you done? <laughs> my interpretation of son only <laughs> makes sense if it includes father, which to me has that clear yeah. like uh, approval of you can have my life but then that that little blurb at the end of son kind of also says that to me and then you have to like consider what the songs are called son and father like if that's if those songs didn't weren't about the brother and the general like it just i don't know the this the titles wouldn't really make sense to me because the song also starts off with a way right it's turn and walk. Uh, and then it goes way, and then it goes right into father. I think father starts with way, right? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, they, they flow so well together, I don't really remember. Yeah, it but. does. But I then, got- but musically speaking, you have the, you have the reprise, yeah. or Taru, cue some keys. Ugh. Beautiful. Beautiful. Rue, you're fired from being a musician. Uh-huh. You're too good. Anyway, the, so, the, these, so these couple of songs are just 
are just weird because yeah. they're supposed to be representing these two huge pivotal parts of the story, which is Hunter killing his father and him assuming his brother's identity. Those are huge things that if, if those things don't happen, the next two acts don't happen. And yet they're so wishy-washy in this narrative. Like there, there's not this focal point of, ah, father's dead. And then this conversation with the brother. Oh no, my just, daddy. It's, it's just, it's this weird kind of, it's, it's uncharacteristic it's, yeah. of not only this album, but of Casey in general to just, to take such strong thematic focal points and just kind of let them just be a wash in this musical. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. It does kind of gloss over quite, quite a significant part of the narrative. I'll give you that. Much like how we're doing with this fucking episode. Um, all right, so let's just go with the lyrics. Uh, and what of the father will he analyze? And what about the mother? Will she discover the truth behind the lie we're living? Uh, I knew that I kept this for a reason. I knew that I kept this for a reason. No, everything we've ever done is here for us. Don't worry about the father. You'll take care of him. As, as for the mother, she always loved her son, and you look like him. This is where it's saying that, you know, Hunter looks like his brother. Um, yes, that's your father. Your mom's dead, but she always loved you. And that's really all the song is really kind of going mm. for. I mean, it's just kind of Hunter's inquisitive nature being answered in rhetoric. But could this could this also be maybe a, maybe I misinterpreted initially? Like if you look at the beginning of Father and it says, "And what of the father will he analyze? And what of the mother will she discover the truth behind this life we're living?" So it's almost like Hunter looking behind at, this lie we're living. What I say? That's important. Oh the yeah, no, life. definitely lie. But uh, it, it it almost sounds to me, looking at it in this context, as as Hunter saying, "Okay, my brother's dead. That's a bummer. But we look really alike. Do I have an out here?" And then he's kind of like thinking of like, "Okay, uh, this could be a problem. This could be a problem." And then he decides. It's him weighing the pros and cons. He decides to deal with the, the most balance. immediate problem, which is the father, by saying, "Okay, well, fuck it. I'll just kill him." Then that's one thing taken care of. But still, that those very last two lines, like to me, they sound they sound like they make more sense as the brother like saying like hey my my mother's always loved me and you look like me give give go to her give her this little thing you have my permission to to move on past this life but then i mean hunter always talks about stealing a life in the next couple acts to come so maybe he's just riddled with survivor's guilt or maybe he actually did steal it i think it's guilt because because there's something that's characteristic of hunter is he he knows when he's done wrong i think but despite that he's, he's not i don't agree with to, that at all i think um, i think that's a that's a primary characteristic of hunters that he never realizes when he's no I, I think he does because look at the song wait he, he knows he's done some terrible stuff but i mean we'll get to that well i mean up four. until this point in the story point of the story so far has been his own rejection of his problems I mean, that's what this whole album basic just different manifestations of his his own avoidance. I don't know. I guess as as the story progresses into like Act Four and Five, he definitely hits a point where he realizes that he needs to change his ways. But un- unfortunately for him, he's just not able to to do anything right. Really, to put it simply. I don't know, Steve. You're being uncharacteristically quiet. Why, why aren't uh, you? Why aren't, you, why aren't you hopping on one of these takes? Because I'm right. I just, I don't know. I, I, I gave my perspective already. I don't know what else you want from me. It, it's a very, um, it, it's, ba- I just viewed it as Hunter asking himself questions and answering them in rhetoric. 
It's him basically saying, uh, there's a truth behind this lie we're living. Will, they, will it be discovered um, in a similar way in the pros and cons? As I said, it's all about the balance. And as Rue said, it's all about the balance. Say it, Rue. There we go. So going with... Fuck you, Hunter. Anyway, so going with this, you have the... Um, you have him basically saying, is like, yes, I could start anew. However, you know, it's like, is it worth it? Is it worth getting discovered? And as you're going into this, is like, Hunter really didn't have a. This is the thing. This thing about this, Hunter didn't really have a past worth expunging. You know, it's like, what happened? He got in a sh- his mother died. He got in a shitty relationship. He left the relationship, and now he's here. Yeah, that's like, what I'm saying too. Which is why. I think that's why I want to believe that this is a conversation happening between the brother and Hunter because if this is just Hunter saying like oh look that guy's dead I kind of look like him it just seems like such a fucking Looney Tunes harebrained scheme that is just so absurd it just it 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 boggles the mind and suspends disbelief but if it's if it's a touching moment it's an unreliable narrative that's what it is It's, it's an unreliable narrative from Hunter's psyche basically kind of being corrupted by all the shit he's seen he's like kind of seen with being in the city and being in war i mean he, like that's kind of where this is all he would have had more luck putting on a pair of groucho marks glasses and going back to the city like that that would be a better disguise than this one so it just to me it's more touching and emotionally resonant if he if he and his brother are having this shared experience of hey i i don't have any use for this life anymore but i know you're struggling just start start fresh. Yeah, he's a hunter that's never been hunting so it's Anyway, I think that's really all there is to talk about father, because then with life and death, that's kind of where we seal it all off. It's where the fate is sealed. So who's going to do the final? Because. Should we do it together? Well, just. <laughs> Let's uh, do it in tandem. Yeah. Okay. Three, two, one. Cue music. All right, one more time. Three, two, one. Cue music. Oh, rude. <laughs> that was amazing. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, you guys are just making this. This is gonna be a twelve-hour edit. Yeah, you need to just get drunk as shit and just go through and edit this. This is gonna be a fucking five-hour episode. Okay, uh, finishing off with life and death. Uh, the grand finale for the record. Uh, Hunter already kind of sealed his fate. He's like, all right, I want to seal my brother's identity. Uh, now I have my father. What of him? What am I going to do? Which goes into life and death. Hunter, take it. I choose you. Oh, you want me to like take the lyrics here? Okay. Yeah, uh, fuck you. Do it. When we no balls. dance. No. Uh, when we dance, <laughs> it looks just like fire. <laughs> when we sing, it sounds the same tone. We all have hearts. We all have homes. But when we die, we die alone. Uh, th- this really, this echoes like the opposite energy of like the song Home off the color spectrum to me. Like it's it's basically saying like, you know, uh, we, we're all in this together in a sense. We're all sharing this experience. We're all suffering the same tragedies and befalling the same fates. But in the end, there's no one there when you die. It's no one, no one can truly be there emotionally for you because they can't understand what, what the death is like. And, and once you're gone, no one's going with you. So, all right. Well, that, that's a that's a theme that keeps getting brought back up. It's a theme of their, yeah. He they does have struggle with his own faith, and this this is kind of a faith. based I'm not thing. even saying faith. Believing. They have families. There's people connected to them. When we die, when we die alone, it's kind of refer that too. touches upon the themes we've discussed in fucking plentiful amounts in this episode. So, 
I'm not going to dive deeper into that, but that's my perspective on that. Going to the chorus, oh, what a mess as everything descends. Oh, what a mess, but everything amends. What does this mean? What do you uh, guys think? So I guess, I guess it's related to the fact that now that he's assumed his half-brother's identity, despite the fact that the whole situation has, has been uh, really... You could put a bleep in. God, I hate you. I hate you. God! So, in, despite Ugh. the fact that everything has been messed up, he's he's now got a way out. Uh, so, everything is going to, at least in his mind, everything's going to be better Which again. again. Just that, why would he think that? This doesn't make sense. Like... I know Hunter's kind of I know Hunter's kind of stupid, but like this is a different level of stupid to believe that just because you look like somebody may not share half of your your biological DNA that you can just assume their life as though no one in their life knows them well enough to know that your personality is going to be completely different. That not every single aspect of your your appearance is going to be identical. We can blame that on the war, and then people will just accept that. Surely. This reminds me, god damn it, I keep pulling up these comedy shows. There's an episode of Whitest Kids, or a sketch from Whitest Kids You Know, where this guy comes back from the Vietnam War, but he's like a Vietnamese guy, god. and everyone believes that he's the original guy, and it basically is discovered that he's the guy who killed the original guy, and he just assumed his life in America, and no one wants to tell his parents because they don't want him hmm. upset, and so they just assimilate this guy into their friend circle, even though he's the guy who killed their friend. Yeah, I mean, it... <sighs> This this whole thing also reminds me of. Uh, have you guys seen that documentary called The Imposter? No. So it's basically about this this guy who was he would find cases where children went missing, and he would basically pose as the missing child, and like kind of infiltrate into the grieving families. Well, in, into the grieving family again. And the family would be so, like, shocked and just totally in denial that, you know, anything malicious could be going on, that they would accept the this person, the imposter, into into their family again. And it, it this kind of thing reminds me of what could, I guess, happen with, with Hunter in, in the context of this story that you know your loved one has gone off to war and they've come back they're looking a bit roughed up they might not seem like the person they were but you, you just kind of brush that off for whatever reason so i think it makes perfect sense yeah we we want we want to believe uh, we want to believe that that our family member didn't die and we'll, we'll go to great lengths to protect ourselves from from emotional turmoil we'll even convince ourselves of delusions and and i can't jump too far forward into the future acts because as of this act they haven't it is hinted in other songs that both the mother and like not miss terry but that the mother and uh the fiance both know or strongly suspect that it's not well, brother. yeah, but that, that's that's uh, actual war territory. Again, this is a total harebrained. It is, right? But what I'm saying is, like, this is a total harebrained scheme. Like, why, why is this even a story element? If it's just, it's, it it has it has no connection to to a real world likelihood of an event. Like, I, I don't know. It's just it's one of those weird. Act three has always been a weird one to me because there's so many things about it that just yeah, don't make sense. But uh, I, I don't know. Act three is like 
that's why I like it, honestly. I like it because I don't listen to lyrics. But uh, going back to Life and Death, the lyrics, uh, as we as kind of said and as kind of confirmed, uh, when everything descends and everything amends is kind of their way of saying that everything's going to kind of be fixed, all the rights are going to be wronged, and kind of Hunter's psyche playing into that, uh, going to such it was so long ago we always tried but failed and now with this newfound consciousness we stand here wa- waiting waiting to die um is this this isn't a battlefield this is a battlefield song but it's not like him kind of in war it's just kind of him rationalizing kind of again what's happening there's a lot of that's a lot of happening a lot of what's happening in this record it's a lot of rationalization and uh self-actualization with uh the protagonist or at least attempted self-actualization. Yeah. Because some, sometimes he's really not capable of comprehending his own circumstances or stupidity. But is this where he poisoned... This is where he poisons his father? Is that in father? Again, it's it, for such a huge story beat, it's 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 not... There's not a punctuated point of like, oh, Cause boop, there's the death. Even with the... There's not even like a reprise that suggests death or anything like that. No, because even with the bridge, it's one of these days you will learn to love again. He will learn to love again. Uh, he will... And like it's, it's repeating that saying that Hunter's going to learn to love again, but it's focusing on Hunter. It's really kind of focusing on him in his mind as a character. Going to that, so hmm. I, I don't I don't know. I think this is just a lot of more kind of Hunter accepting that he, what's going to happen. Then he's going to get ready and go on another boat out to the new town in Act Four. Yeah, Casey's been making this shit just incredibly vague. <laughs> <laughs> he could be a bit more meticulous. Really? Can they be Hunter? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I would really love to find the point where Hunter kills his father. The, there's only one point where it's talked about, and that is at the end of Father. And it's just, it's basically Hunter coming up with the idea of, okay, I'm going to do this. But then this yeah. song doesn't seem to suggest any point where he actually goes and kills his father. And that's just, that's weird for such a big moment. That's why Casey has the machete order. Yeah, but even even with the even with the machete order, it's it's a little wonky. But uh, I don't know. Unfortunately, back from this kind of vague cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah. I, that's where it picks right back up. You okay, Craig? Yeah. What the? What? Is, what do you want? Okay. Oh, God, um, Craig, not on the but, table. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Go rub Craig's nose in it. All right. So as a, so, yeah, this ends Act Three. Um, it ends with just kind what of... What an anticlimactic ending on not only the story's part, but on our part. Like, the, we, we don't have a good punctuated end to this self-contained narrative. Like yeah, we just, do. We have the movements that are basically uh, a night on the town, which there's not much more to say aside from the fact that it's basically a night on the town, but the demo version. Yeah, but it wouldn't make sense, like, in that part of the narrative, because night in the town doesn't come until after he gets back to the city, and there's there's a whole bunch of story elements before that happens, so... Well... I don't know. It's... It's weird that this doesn't have a punctuation point. This has an ellipsis. Well, thanks for and coming it's... to our uh, five-hour TED Talk. God. <laughs> <laughs> they, like, imagine sitting through five hours of this just to get to the ending and us say, yeah, we don't fucking know. See ya. Yeah, it just kind of it ends like that. But I uh, know. I guess that's but how... if someone has, if someone else has a better answer, let us know. Because I, the way I'm reading these lyrics is, uh, again, just incredibly vague, which is strange for ha- having all these huge things happen i think a note we should that's... end on though is a musical one rue do you have uh do you have anything you want to talk about musically for the song before we uh, close it out I, I guess the main thing to mention would be the reprise of writing on a wall with the uh
Awesome. Yeah, no, that's uh, which is fitting because Writing on a Wall Acapella is the next track on the special edition. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I, I guess that touches upon really this entire <laughs> album. Uh, we don't have to really plug anything. You can just go to DearApparitionPodcast.com and find every link for everything Amazing. there. Click on our faces if you want to find our Instagrams. Uh, click on Listen Now. We have the whole... Yeah, we have, we have that shiny new website, which I, I think we mentioned that shiny new website at the beginning of this episode. But uh, yeah, go check out the Operation Podcast. Yeah, the, the one we recorded to, recorded today. Yes. Oh, that's right. The, this is all the same episode. Never mind. Yeah, but anyway, this is um, th- this was Act 3. So go to <laughs> com. We appreciate that. I'm Steve. I'm Rue. I'm Hunter, and I'm, dis- I'm disappointed by the anticlimactic nature of this. But yes, this has been Act 3. We're excited for Act 4. We will see you next time. Yes, and Rue, play us out. Oh, man, you put me on the spot. Uh... Yeah, yeah, I'm doing it. Hmm.